listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Everybody's favorite uh, dueling ding-dongs are back on the air. So <laughs> you have to hear the feedback section to understand that a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> You'll get it once you hear it. Uh, okay, so uh, we are back, and uh, this week we got some uh, fun film coverage. We got the class and we got the trash. Yes. Uh, we got both this week. We got uh, Zulowski's. I'm not even going to try. How do you say his first name? And- Andre. Andre. Andre, Andre yeah. Andre Zulowski's uh, possession, and uh, we have, uh, which I don't even know what year that's from, so shame on me. Uh, I can tell you. It's 1981, I believe. Yes. Okay, nice. And uh, Straight Line, which is uh, oddly one of those weird films that just was talked about on another show, and was just like, well, fuck it, let's just do that. Yes. Uh, which is a George Mahalka, <laughs> uh Mr. T movie that, uh, okay, we'll get to it when we get to it. All right, so other than that, we... Uh, I've obviously been watching other stuff. So, uh, Large William, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, let me get this off my chest. Well, no, I'll save it at the end. Uh, my movie watching did slow down Okay. this week. It finally kind of caught up with me. Uh, as I'd said to you in the last episode, I was going to go through and watch four, five, and six of the uh, Baby Cart, Lone Wolf, and Cub series because I hadn't watched the three of them since I'd bought the DVDs, or I think I'd watched one of them once, but I hadn't, I'd say, although having seen them before, I hadn't seen them since I bought it. So I rewatched uh, Baby Cart in the Land of Demons, which is the fifth film. Uh, it's, I mean, it is what it is, fantastic. Uh, I watched <laughs> The Informant, the Soderbergh film with Matt Damon. Um, good performance, so so kind of meandering film for me. Mm-hmm. I watched The Roost, uh, the Ty West film, which I have to say I was pretty disappointed with. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say there was anything in there that... I mean, there was a glimmer, I think, of potential from him. But the thing I found out was he shot it and and, uh, bleached it, not bleached it out, but uh, gave it uh, a look that made it look like an early 80s film. But he made no attempt to make the characters look anything less than modern. Okay. I don't mind the slow burn. I just, I don't know. I didn't really care for it, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, but I, I could see that there was some potential there. Uh, I watched Rulers of the City, rewatch. This is a Fernando DeLeo film with Jack Palance. Nice. Um, it's AKA is Mr. Scarface. <laughs> this is Hans's favorite Eurocrime film. And when he had sent it to me uh, on VHS, no less, I didn't really care for it at the time I'd seen it. Um, so I decided to rewatch it, and I, I really enjoyed it a lot more the second time I watched it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in that instead of gangsters and suits, it's more of a t-shirt and blue jeans, low-level pickpocket kind of uh, Eurocrime film. Nice, nice. So it's kind of cool. Uh, 44-inch Chest, which is a British film that came out, got a fantastic cast. Uh, John Hurd, Ian McShane, Ray Winston, and Tom Wilkinson. Uh-huh. Um, this film feels very stagey. It, the performances from the, the four leads are all great. Uh, the dialogue is great from them, but the film really gets messy and falls apart in the back third. Uh, it's more about the performances of the actors than anything else, but uh, it's, it's it's worth a watch, though. Yeah, I've heard people say it's uh, kind of a stagey 
film, it, uh, like it, a stage yeah. play, almost like a stage play film. So, yeah, it could definitely be a stage play. Definitely. All right. Um, I watched uh, Searching for the Wrong-Eyed Jesus, which was a documentary film done by a, a British man coming to America. He had done it when he'd seen an, this alt-country record by Jim White. I believe it was called Searching for the Wrong-Eyed Jesus. And it focuses on the most destitute poor of uh, white Southern America. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got a very cinematic look. It's shot beautifully. Um, I think he uses a little too much independent Southern music in, at times. It gets a bit grating, but it's a fantastic documentary of a part of the world or of the country that doesn't get seen enough. Um, really, really good. I highly recommend it uh, to everyone. It, yeah. It's weird. This guy went on to direct the Amityville Horror remake and there's more gothic and uh, wonderful cinematography in the documentary uh, than his film, so it, it yeah. was sort of odd. But the uh, yeah, that I didn't need to see that. It's one of the ones that's always eluded me. Uh, Doc Zom tried to send me one called "Searching for the One-Eyed Jesus," but I think he had it wrong. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking <laughs> yeah. for the I'm not looking for the one-eyed Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and most importantly, I watched uh, Sunday, uh, an overtime thriller. By Team Canada, uh, beating Team USA in the gold medal men's hockey game. Uh, I want to congratulate our, our team. Uh, I hadn't been that moved by a sporting event in a very, very long time. I mean, I was almost in tears. Uh, I was so happy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think the, the game started off pretty shittily, quite frankly, uh, with the death of the Georgian Luge, or I believe it was, mm -hmm. um, and protesters, etc. But I think that the games came together in a way that may sound trite or cliche, but I think that it, it, they came together wonderfully, and I was saying to Bjorn, the thing I love about the Olympics is that it's your grocery boy, it's your neighbor, it's your friend's daughter that goes on to become the hero of a nation. Um, uh, you know, I just I loved and I loved that our team performed remarkably well, set the record for most gold medals ever in a game. And uh, congratulations to all the Olympians, whether they you know didn't even finish their their races or their events. Uh, it, it's just wonderful. Uh, wonderful event and reminded me why sports makes for better theater than anything when it's on form yep yep good stuff um okay so uh that, that's all you watched then right yeah i got in i think uh one two three four five only six oh that's not bad okay can you hang on one second yeah i hear the vibration yeah <laughs> large william would like you guys to believe that's his cell phone but that's actually his little toy <laughs> I told him not to do that on the air, though. Uh, quite frankly, that's uh, you know that's just rude to be pleasuring yourself on air. <laughs> oh, ding, ding, dong, ding, a ding, ding, dong. My apologies. That was my employer uh, just calling something. So, uh, what were you saying, Sammy? Oh, nothing. I was just uh, you know teasing you about the phone a little bit. You'll hear it when you go back and listen to the show. <laughs> a little surprise for you. All right, uh, so I'll go into what I covered then, eh? Yes. All right, so I watched, or what I covered, what I watched, I guess I is covering ground, since I am keeping track of how much I watched this year, which is the first time I've done this in a long time, so it's interesting to see how much time I actually spend in front of a television. <laughs> yes. Uh, first film I watched this past week, Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Justice League film. Uh, this is another one of those animated comic book films. As some of you guys know, I'm a huge comic book fan, so... I check out all these things. Uh, this one's pretty good. Uh, I like it. I tend to like the DC ones a little more than the Marvel ones, even though I'm 
Well, I don't know if I'm a DC or a Marvel guy. I don't really kind of differentiate between the two, but the DC ones, they seem to get the animation a little bit more uh, better done than the Marvel ones. The Marvel ones seem to be a little hacked. It kind of seems a little second rate to me sometimes. That's weird because you'd think, to me, it would be the other way around. But. Yeah, you would think that. You'd think that. Uh, I watched the Harlan Ellison documentary, Dreams with Sharp Teeth, uh, the very uh, underspoken Harlan Ellison. Uh, if anybody knows Harlan Ellison, they know that's a serious joke there. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Harlan Ellison, always interesting, always uh, biting, always angry, and uh, still at the age he is now, still very angry. Uh, I watched. Uh, I had a rewatch of Bronson. I watched it on Blu-ray. Uh Liked it more the second time than I liked it the first time. So I think this is a film that's going to grow on me and stick around in my catalog for quite some time. Uh, looked great on Blu-ray. And again, outstanding performance. And just a great film altogether. Uh, even though I didn't rate it very high. I, I joke about that and laugh about that. But some of my favorite films of all time, I wouldn't. if I had to critically rank them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rate them very high. Like My personal favorite film of all time is probably like something like Grease or something. But I would only give that like a 6.5 out of 10. <laughs> Oh, I'd give it more than that. I think it's maybe it's maybe a seven, but believe it or not, I wouldn't rate it very high if I had to critically look at it. I just, I yeah, just, yeah. Crit, between critically rating films and loving films, it's two different things. Yeah, because I love some Not seriously sure. bad cinema. I mean, I'm looking over <laughs> at my uh, my DVDs right now. I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, we watched uh, Antichrist uh, because you know I was you know it was a sunshiny day. I felt like you know needed to watch something that made me happy. And Antichrist uh, put a smile on my face, which says a lot about me, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but I rewatched this. is actually on Netflix Instant. It is weird. It's on there right now. Uh, I think it's just a deal that they have with the uh, the Magnolia people or something to put their films up before they come on DVD on Netflix. So I think it's Magnolia. It might be. Magnet, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, it was really nice to rewatch it. I think I would have rated this actually. This actually would have probably been higher on my top ten list if we had done it after I rewatched it because I actually liked it even more the second time I watched it. So, Interesting. Good stuff. Uh, of course, I watched the two films for the show, and then I watched uh, I watched Julia because you mentioned it. I watched that. Oh, interesting. What do you think? Well, you know, it was it was pretty good. I like the performances in the film. The film's a little long. Yes. Actually, I should say the film's very long for what it needs to be. Uh, got some Tilda Swinton ass and and Bush in it. Uh, <laughs> so, so you're a fan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to be frank. Yes. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I know I expected some uh, some nudity, but I didn't expect that much nudity. That was kind of surprising. Uh, but yeah, the performance is really good, and you're really right about Sal Rubinick. He's really, really good in the film, and she's really good in the film, and I really, I really liked it quite a bit. I mean, I don't know you know, if it'd be something I'd recommend to people, because it could, could get on your nerves uh, in some ways, because she's, uh, you know, her character's so desperate in so many ways, but I thought she was really fantastic in the movie. Yeah, she was. She really was. I just, I think it could have been done in a hundred minutes, not uh, hundred and thirty minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's way. It's it. It's really seriously. When we say too long, it, this one's way too long. Yeah. This one, I'd say you could even cut out almost as much as forty-five minutes out of this thing. Yeah. It, it just there, there's some parts where it's just like, come on, you know, the performances are good, but I, I don't want to sit around. I don't want to hang out with these people for the rest of my life. No. <laughs> uh, I watched. Uh, it's funny. I watched two films that you mentioned you watched recently, and I don't know why, but they just kind of happened. I watched uh, GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> yes. And uh hated it. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I really did. Uh, but, you know, I hated it just because it was just so, it, for me, it was just so bland. And so yeah. it, it really it really strained with some stuff, especially with the knowing is half the battle lines. And <laughs> they, they did shoehorn a lot of the signature G.I. Joe 
mythology in there. Yeah, I mean it, it's okay for what it is as a Hollywood blockbuster. And if I had a, if you know, if I had my child now, and if I, if you know, they were old enough to watch something like that, as a as a kid, I would have liked it. But as an adult, it's really hilarious and almost preposterous to sit around and watch somebody just start talking. And go Storm Shadow, I need you to do this. I'm like, quick on him, Storm Shadow. You know, nobody really talks like that. Yeah. <laughs> So it gets a little ridiculous, and I like some of the cameo work in it, though. That was kind of interesting. Some of Stephen Summers' regulars are in there. Uh, that guy that played the doctor with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that's one of Stephen Gord, uh, Summers' regulars. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in, like, all Stephen Summers' films. Levitt's terribly miscast in this film, though. Terribly miscast. Terribly miscast. But that's okay, because I thought... For me, Channing Tatum didn't work. Uh, Marlon Wayans was... I hate the Wayans. Yeah, he was tired in it. And a lot of people have told me that he's not as bad in this, not as irritating. Well, no, he's just as irritating as he always is. Yes. And I didn't like him in it. I did like the lady that played Scarlet. I've told you that before. And the Baroness was good. You know, oh, Sienna yeah, Miller. Sienna Miller looked smoking as the yeah. Baroness. Christopher, Christopher Eccleson uh, was having fun with it. I liked him a little bit. He was, but I, I, being a purist, I wanted to see Destro in... <laughs> Uh, silver helmet and S&M gear right from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with that kind of red fur collar. Yes, yes, yes. with the plunging neckline. <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome. I could have borrowed that jacket from Charles Bronson. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's it's entertaining, but it's it's not a good movie. Mindless, mindless. Yeah, it's mindless. It's 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 a Stephen Summers movie. It's, uh, yes. it's uh, fancy junk. So there you go. Uh, I watched uh, From Paris with Love. I saw this. I actually went to the uh, $3 cinema and saw From Paris with Love. Now, this movie is bad, but it's bad in a way that I enjoyed uh, because it uh, it uh, it kind of knows what it is. It's real short, too. It's only 88 minutes long. And uh, I had Which fun. One? From Paris with Love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The John Travolta, oh, Stephen yeah, Reese Myers yeah. film. Uh, this is, this is a, it's not a good film. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say it's great, and I won't recommend it to people. The only way I tell people to check this out is if you uh, like watching John Travolta go over the top a la Nicolas Cage. Because he goes way over the top in this thing. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, if you can handle that, you'll probably like the film more. Now, if you can't handle that, you probably won't like the film at all. But uh, it's pretty harsh in its violence. Uh, the violence is pretty good. It's very much uh, kind of an homage to heroic bloodshed movies, uh, which I kind of thought it was when I saw the previews and saw John Travolta running around with two handguns. I, I love when, when Travolta's in this butchy phase where he likes to go bald with the goatee and... <laughs> And Lee press on neck tattoos. It's quite incredible. <laughs> he wears a scarf in this movie. He makes oh, yeah. He makes sure to every time he like goes into battle, he throws the scarf on. It's fucking outstanding. It's really, it's really action cheese. And I, I again, I'm going to say it's not a great film, but if you like your cheesy action movies, it's it's pretty fun. And it's it's actually a good buddy movie because the the chemistry between Reese Myers and uh, Travolta, you would think wouldn't be there, is actually there. They're pretty good together. I don't really like Reese Myers. He just got again. He's one of these guys. He's got a look that I'm just like, fuck off, you yeah. third-rate Prada model. I yeah. just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he is good in it, though. Yeah, yeah, he's he's good in it, and uh, it, it's 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 a pretty good film. I mean, it's Pierre Morel. It's a, uh, you know, it's not as good as Taken. Taken was a better film, but this one's just kind of fun. And I think the reason why I liked it is because it's only 88 minutes long. If this thing would have been two hours, I would have hated it. But it's real yeah. short and sweet. It's it's really just there for an action movie. It really has no other reason. I mean, it really just gets right into it, and it just goes from there. So it's really a pure action movie. So you know, it is it's bare bones. But uh, you know, I recommend it to people who don't mind the over the topness and kind of silliness. But for those of you who are tired of John Travolta's kind of overacting, uh, you might want to avoid it. Although I think he does a pretty good job in this. Uh, and finally, and certainly not least, I watched uh, The Blind Side. Mm. 
this is easily one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Seriously, eh? I fucking hate this movie with every ounce of my soul. I was grinding my teeth. I wanted to kill people. I actually had thoughts that I wanted a bomb to land in this small town and kill everybody, including the children. That's how mad I got. Oh, wow. This movie is offensive on so many levels to white America and to black America. And uh, it just, oh, it just, it made me sick to my stomach. And that people love this thing just makes me want to, uh, it just makes me, it just makes me hate everything. I mean, it really does. I hated this film with a passion. <laughs> so I really don't need to say much more than that. I'm not saying that people won't like it if you check it out. Some people will. But, I mean, the sentimentality in this one, and I'm a more sentimental cinema fan than maybe you are. Uh, this one reeks so much of, uh, it's just, oh, oh, so painful. You know what I find interesting now that you do, you made that statement that you're more a fan of sentimental cinema than I am? Mm-hmm. I, I And I'm, I may be painting with a broad brush here. The irony in that is as a person, and I'm not saying you're a cold, heartless bastard because I think you're far from it. Yep. Uh, you're a wonderfully warm person. But I think I tend to be a more sentimental person yet resist sentimental cinema more. You're, I think, a little bit of a less sentimental person and you yeah. indulge in sentimental cinema. I think that's an interesting thing. Well, I think it's what we want. It's what people want in their entertainment, right? I mean, uh, yeah. because you want, uh, let's say that you're a huge fan of just Von Trier, Kubrick, and all these people and... You know, you know, you don't like, you know, your your, your typical guys, your Spielbergs, your uh, whatever, blah blah blah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm totally down for that. I can totally understand people not wanting sentimentality in their cinema, and I can totally understand vice versa. Like my wife, she loves sentimental cinema, and of she's course, not yeah. she's not really a very sentimental person either. But she uh, she really really loves sentimental cinema. As a matter of fact, if it's not very sentimental, she's not going to check it out. Wow. So, but you know, I think this is what people want in their entertainment. Uh, that'd be a good thing for our listeners to call in and talk about if. Uh, you know, if you guys uh, find yourselves being, you know, being one way, but you like your entertainment another way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for being emotionally manipulated when it's something that strikes a chord. Now, if it's father and son mm-hmm. or mother and son, it really is easy to manipulate me. Yeah. Yeah. And totally understandable. Totally understandable. I have uh, I have issues uh, when I really get manipulated is when uh, it's father and son. But since I'm not a father yet. Uh, I I kind of look at it more from the sun perspective right now, buddy. You're gonna watch. Yeah. You're gonna find. You're gonna start getting weepy at things that. <laughs> well, I already get weepy. The, the The biggest weakness for me is, and this is no secret because if anybody's listened to the show for a long time, is uh, anything that happens to a dog in a movie. If something happens yeah. to a dog in a movie, I just I you know I lose control. So, <laughs> so yeah. there you go. I mean, you know, I you know, so it is what it is. But yeah, it is interesting you bring that up. I've been thinking about that actually quite a bit lately. The how. How you know our personalities are slightly different, but our entertainment tastes tend to lean the other way of our personalities. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, it's like a crossroads where they they convert. It's, yeah, it's really weird. I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that before until you made that statement. But I, I warn anybody to going into the blind side, and a lot of our listeners are not going to check this out. But I'm total agreement with Emily on this one. You'll hear our feedback on it a little later. Uh, this is it's offensive on so many levels. Now I'm not saying some people aren't going to love it, and that's fine if you do love it. That's fine. It's just. For me, strictly, it was not my cup OT. I think the sad thing in all this is it is a wonderful human story in reality. Yeah, but I've actually read that the book is very different than the film. Oh, doesn't kill surprise. <laughs> yeah, can't be surprised by that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, it is what it is. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Sandra Bullock apologist just because I think she's a gorgeous lady who's aged very well. And I like a lot of her crap movies. I'm not going to lie. 
and because I've watched a lot of them with my wife, who's a big fan of hers, and obviously I've watched this one with my wife. And, you know, she's going to win the Oscar just because I think that, you know, that Hollywood looks at her as, you know, this box office titan this year because she had such a great year. So I think she's going to end up winning the Oscar this year just to celebrate that, and I think that's a shame because I think there's uh, the girl from An Education was ten times, or, well, I should say a million times better than Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock is really... In my opinion, in a blind size, she's really dialing it in. I mean, she's really just calling it in. There's nothing fancy there. So. Brutal. All right. So that is everything we watched. And uh, sorry if anybody out there is big blind side fans. Uh, you can call in and yell at me if you want to. I will yell back. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is everything we watched. We'll, we'll take a break, and we'll come back and talk about... Uh, let's talk about Straight Line first. You're okay. All right. We'll talk about Straight Line. We'll be back okay. right after this. This famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Allie McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend, if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word, in the iTunes store. I had that break actually uh, planned for last week, so I went ahead and just kept it for this week. <laughs> a little Cinderella there. Uh, nice. <laughs> a little Gypsy Road action. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our first review is uh, the 19, was it 86 or something like that? The bad year Ooh. for fashion. That's all I know. 85, 86. Of course, Let's whenever, whenever you're in. 89. Okay. 89. Ooh, that's even worse. Yeah, that is. Ooh, man, Mr. T needed to get caught up. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that he wasn't a fashion plate all on his own. I mean, you know, he had his own style, but, you know, still. All right, so this is from George Mahalka. Uh, let me uh, get a, a uh, plot synopsis up, even though I don't really know if we need one. This is almost a uh, Save the Rec Center type movie, in a way. Yeah. One of those uh, infamous 80s Save the uh, Rec Center films. Uh, but basically, this one, uh, Mr. T. Here, here it goes. Uh, well, it doesn't really have anything on here about the plot synopsis. Let's just say the the tagline is "What's the most dangerous distance between two points?" Which makes well, it's a straight line, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so this is kind of a this kind of came out of nowhere, only because you know it was hard to find film. I found it. Uh, Mahalka directed it. I just kind of wanted to cover it because I watched some clips of it and I thought, oh, we need more Mr. T, and this looks ridiculous and. Uh, I might regret that, and so we'll see. Uh, it was actually a made-for-TV movie, which I think we can cover made-for-TV films. I don't see why not. They're films nonetheless. So uh, let's get talking about this. I want to hear Will's opinion. 
Okay, well, uh, it is the third Mr. T film we've done. Uh, the second in a few weeks, as a matter of fact. Uh, between Penitentiary 2, DC Cab, and now this. Yeah. Uh, and it's the second Mahalka, I think, in two or three weeks as well, which <laughs> yeah. he's, he's up to charge the bullet, but I think this is where it ends for Mahalka. Yeah, I think this might be the end of the Mahalka. <laughs> yeah, the Mahalka era at uh, GGTMC is over. Uh, this film's shot in Toronto. I, I could tell, uh, being familiar with... Uh, downtown Toronto in the early 80s and stuff and you see a Harvey's Hamburgers Harvey's is a Canadian burger joint oh yeah um, that's right I did see the Harvey's oh, I don't know why I didn't put that together I saw the Harvey's <laughs> I remember asking you about Harvey's when uh, when we met up in Toronto <laughs> yeah yeah so you, you see Harvey's and you see a co-op taxi driving by and nice. just a few uh, Toronto and even a Toronto Star uh, newspaper pox so things I knew to look for you guys um, got a violent society up there in 1989 apparently we did um, <laughs> the future well, that's the thing. I mean, how many, it, it seems like, I don't know how many. I mean, I'm looking at the wilding, which is the Joey Travolta, or no, the Frank, no, yeah, Joey Travolta, Wingshauser, Youth Gone Wild movie I'm, I'm looking at. It seems like between 82 and 89, how many Youth Gone Wild movies were there? There was a lot. There was a lot. And uh, there's some good ones in there, but there was a lot of really bad ones. And uh, they make for really good conversation. I'm sure this will, topic will come up again because, you know, we cover a lot of 80s cinema. And some of the action movies we cover has a lot of that Youth Gone Wild stuff, too. But, yeah, the, the problem is, is that the thugs in this are not charismatic at all. As a matter of fact, I can't even remember any of their faces or anything. They were just so bland. Yeah. The future, Very. as they call themselves in this, is just so there's nothing going for these guys. It's very ridiculous. Uh, going for, I think it's Joe, the young boy. He had one thing he had going for him was the the old safety pin earring. <laughs> yes, yes, I like their uh, their rite of passage, their entrance into things. It's all the opening of this film opens like a horror film. Yeah, it does. It's really ridiculous. It's like some weird like religious horror film. It's deliver us from evil. Will. Yes, <laughs> that's a pers yes. personal joke. <laughs> uh one thing we saw, we see early when T's in his office. He's a PI. Uh, he's got one of those bendy bars that were so popular in the '80s during the fitness craze. <laughs> yeah, I used to hit. I used to. This is going to sound terrible, but this is brothers. I used to take those and smack my brother across the back of legs with those. <laughs> Ooh, I used to have one, and I was using it before I probably should have. And one time, my one hand got loose, and the thing came up and clipped me in the chin. Oh yeah, yeah, and they they had some torque to them, and uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I still have one, but it's actually attached to my body. <laughs> it's a bendy bar. Uh, the bendy bar. <laughs> nice. Uh, there's the prerequisite cock joke that uh, Cody yeah, referred to. Yeah, yeah. Always. I've never heard it referred to as a bendy bar, though. Yeah, a, yeah, workout, a workout bar makes sense, though, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. But. It's, it's bar none above the rest. <laughs> yes, Mr. Goodbar. Yeah. Uh, I love that Mr. T knew that he had to class things up when he went to a political speech rally by slicking his mohawk down for Reverend Pierce's campaign speech. Yeah, he went through a phase. It's kind of weird. I bring this up. I don't know if you remember this. Mr. T went through a phase where he would comb the mohawk down. He, he grew it out, and there's actually a scene in here where it actually gets loose, and it's pretty wild. And uh, he would comb it down. I don't know why he didn't keep shaving and just keep it trim and tight, the you know, kind of mohawk he had, because he basically had a full head of hair. He just shaved the sides down. The Mr. T Mohawk is kind of a unique Mohawk, but yeah, you're right. He slicks it down, and uh, I, but I really wish he would have shown up in like the tuxedo T-shirt as opposed to actually dressing up because him dressed up just doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's really bizarre. 
Uh, as they're Canadian in this film and too polite to throw rocks or violent objects at Pierce during his... Oh, my God. His, and it should be said that Pierce is an African-American gentleman. Uh -huh. uh, they decide they're going to throw tomatoes at him. It's like, come on. Yeah, the, you know, the one of our uh, favorite reviewers on iTunes, who I said I wouldn't bring this up, but I have to bring it up, says we're always looking for social commentary. But look, man, this film, this film predicted the rise of Obama. It did. <laughs> Absolutely. We're really reaching for it there. Or maybe 24 <laughs> ripped off this storyline. Yeah. Either way, yes, my uh, my note here is, I was going to bring this up when I got to me, but uh, we have come a long way with our thugs. Showing up at a political rally with tomatoes? Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, is, this, is this 1920s vaudeville performance? What is it? <laughs> it's ridiculous. We've come a long way. Um, T, for the most part, is sometimes it feels like he really dials it into the point where he doesn't even have that many gold chains or sleeveless denim vests on. It's it's. There's times when he just he's just rolling around the set in sweatpants for 15, 20 minutes at a time. The really weird thing about this film is is it's almost it's like an after school special. I don't know if you guys yep. had those up there, but oh yeah, it's 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 almost too much message, and it really it really hurts itself by being so heavy handed. And this is a lot of ways that sometimes what made for TV movies were like in this era. So I'm not surprised. But even they they really dialed back Mr. T and. I was having fun with him at first, and there's some great scenes. There's a great scene where he jumps a barbed wire fence, and he's running around like uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Jay, and Jay and Silent Bob strike back in the wide open. He's kind of running around <laughs> yeah, in his, uh, in his uh, covert uh, Mr. T mode because <laughs> his mohawk's combed down, so nobody can see him, surely. No, I know. So I it's, know. It's pretty and ridiculous. <laughs> it is pretty ridiculous, and the bizarre thing is he takes quite a leap of faith because what happens is um, T is active in the community as well, and... Mm -hmm. There's a young boy, Joe, who is mixed up in the gang, and T puts so much faith in this guy that to post Bond for this kid, he puts his house up. He just met the kid. I'm thinking, really? Yeah. That much of a leap of faith? Yeah. Did I mean, you talk see something in this kid that <laughs> I didn't? Yeah, talk about a leap of faith. I mean, that is a leap of faith. And You know, it's funny. I'm just sitting here thinking about this, and this just occurred to me right now, but if you think about the 80s, you think about any time a character walked into a boxing gym or a gym of any kind, you kind of expected Mr. T to be in there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It seems that's like true. Clubber Lang, yeah, penitentiary. Seems this like, seems like he might have missed the buck calling with the aerobic exploitation genre. He should have had it hopped in there with Daniel Green. That would have been Clash of the Titans, indeed. <laughs> yes. Um, this film, luckily or unluckily, we get the street connected lawyer and the intrepid journalist in one movie. Uh, yeah, and. Um we get the reporter who wants to sleep or actually maybe sleeping with the lawyer. Maybe and the lawyer is the low rent Canadian version of the white female lawyer from King of New York, it seems. She looks like Shelley Long, but a little better looking. Yeah. Uh yeah. but she it's has worse poodle hair though. Oh yeah, that poodle hairdo, man. God, I remember that hairdo so much. Now when I was in nineteen eighty nine, I was like a sophomore or junior in high school here in the States. So uh man, all the chicks had that hair, man. Dreadful. I, I don't miss that hair. <laughs> I don't miss it either. It actually pops up twice. There's another character in the film that has the same haircut. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. Uh, we do get the return of the abandoned warehouse bat cave for the bad guys. Yes. Again, is, it's more. It's got more character than the bad guys, though. Yeah, it, it's just a lazy convention, I think, at this point. Mm -hmm. um, there is, a, I guess, a ridiculously or in... Well, maybe intentionally comedic, but it almost seems unintentionally comedic in the absurdity of the film, but... There's a moment when Mr. T is on the fence climbing back over and the cops catch him and they go, freeze. And he goes, can I get off this fence? <laughs> or can I at least get off this fence? There's so many great moments here that could have been like 
over the top and made this film a cult film. But since it's made for TV and, you know, Mahawk, I guess, didn't just get the joke. It just, I, I don't know. I mean, probably because it was made for TV more than anything else, they probably couldn't make it very joking. You know, they, oh. had, they had to take it serious. You know, that's the problem. That's the problem. It had to be a message made for T movie, made for T. <laughs> well, uh, basically that it, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a message made for TV after school special, which takes away any, like you said, if they had been able to turn the insanity and the violence and the sleaze up in this film, it would have been a cult film. But yeah, but the problem right, that, right the, out of the get, they they pull all the teeth out of the film. Yeah, I think the problem also might be though it was Mr. T. Because you remember Mr. T? I mean, he really became a icon for kids in the eighties. Yeah, you know he, yeah. he has you know he had his cereal, he had his action figures, he even had an animated TV show. He uh, he became uh, you know he became a, a role model basically. Yeah, he did, and like I said before, good on him for for that because you know it's nice that he he had an, an interest in you know being a bit of a moral lighthouse for kids, uh, role model. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people shunned it; he embraced it. Yeah, um, yeah. I love how the poodle-haired lawyer is so high powered. Uh, that despite her poodle hair, her bad shoulder padded red cocktail dresses, she literally can just strut and stroll into any interrogation room in any precinct at any time and pull the suspect out. <laughs> Maybe this—I thought this might be a Canadian convention. I didn't know. You know, wow. can you just walk into an interrogation room? I'm coming up here next. If I come up here this year, we're walking into an interrogation room. <laughs> well, well, we have to, like I said, shave a poodle, glue it onto our hair, and wear red shoulder padded cocktail dresses. That I think is is the loophole in the legal contract, so to speak. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So. That makes sense. Uh, there's a, a wonderfully typical moment when the old uh, philanthropist walks through the basketball court, and you can see he cuts into the the youth game in his three piece suit, and he shoots at the the net. And I'm surprised that Malka didn't cut away and do that convention where they would cut away as the shot went up, and then you would just see the close up of the ball going in the net. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he actually he missed a, a pretty easy layup. As they say in the world of film, you know, you can make anybody a star athlete in a movie. I mean, even Michael J. Fox, who manages to look at the basketball as he dribbles, as I've mentioned before. Yes, yes, and Teen Wolf, yes, outstanding. Uh, there is a, an, a touching T moment, or in the, the universe of Mr. T, where he gives Joe a gold earring as a gift, <laughs> which might have been my favorite moment in the film. Yeah, it was kind because of it's just so T. Yeah. There's actually a really weird homoerotic moment, too, where we get Mr. T talking with his shirt off and somebody working on him. I don't, I don't know. Oh. That, that bothered me. Oh, I'll get to that. <laughs> There's a few great homoerotic movies, despite it being a made-for-TV movie. Who needs Mark Perel and Ray, Rov- Ray Lovelock on one motorbike when you get T and a leather daddy biker bear on a Harley together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their scenes, uh, actually, I think if it might have been more of that kind of film, I might have liked it more. Yeah, if it had more teeth, they could get down and dirty. And that, that guy's a pretty good Canadian character actor. Yeah, I've seen him in a lot of shit, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah, he's always got one line. or He's got a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's um, got a look. There's no doubt about that. And and you just mentioned it, the tough tits by T at the 56-minute mark, finally, as this uh, makeshift male nurse works on him with, with while well, T has his shirt off. Yeah, yeah. yeah Outstanding. It's, it's like, what the hell? <laughs> Mahalka with this film, it's it's interesting because we talked about uh, in My Bloody Valentine how he was able to keep the ping pong back and forth between what you thought was happening um, with uh, with reveals and so forth. But in this, I think the quote-unquote twist is so obvious from the one minute into the introduction of the character. Um, it just He's not as adept at handling it this time. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Mahalka is that, you know, he actually is not a horror movie fan. I think he says that on the bonus features of the My Bloody Valentine Blu-ray. And, you know, he just kind of took the job. 
And uh, it's odd because he maybe should have stuck with the genre because it seems like everything else he's done has, uh, well, this is really the only thing I have any interest in looking into. So, Yeah, I'm stopping here too. And it seems like maybe he had, I was wondering, maybe he had, he caught lightning in a bottle and had talented people around him when he made My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, it might have been just, uh, well, you know, I mean, it was done in a fever. Remember, I think I told you, I think I did something mm. in the review that, you know, they wanted to get a horror film out real quick. So they wrote a real quick uh Although I do would like, I would like to see his Pinball Summer movie. That's his first film. That's just got a great title, Pinball Summer. I might check that yeah. out, but not for the show. But uh, yeah, I mean, it might just been it might be just what you said. It might just been lightning in a bottle. It might just been you know, right place, right time, and just kind of in a fever. Sometimes how a film can kind of just come out in a fever and be better than anybody intended it to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Oh. Uh, T in this film, he's sort of like Leroy Selman, the Hall of Famer of the Tampa Bay Bucks when they wore their orange cream school uniforms. In an otherwise miserable and dreadful uh, film, he's one bright spot. Yeah. I, don't I mean, this film has, honestly, I'm not just saying this, the worst toy gun ever in a film. <laughs> oh, it's it's pretty bad. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> and like, they even crib from Friday the 13th Part 3 with the hanging in the barn sequence. Actually looks like uh, chocolate, the gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so obviously cheap Taiwanese plastic. Yeah, it's it's, pretty it's bad. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it's got the worst. This is my last one. It's got the worst theme song ever. It's warbled <laughs> by this drunk lounge singer where she says, uh, I don't even remember the tune now. What? The straight line? Give me the straight line. And there's a fucking sitar. <laughs> Uh, accompanying it, it's just, just horrendous. Yeah, I thought the sitar went out when the back in the Beatles days, which would have been late sixties, early seventies. I didn't know it made a comeback in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, and nor did I. But uh, apparently, it was it was hot in Canada around eighty nine. <laughs> Between sitars and tomatoes being thrown, yes, yes, yes. I don't really but, have. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything on my side. I mean, most of the stuff I was going to go over, you pretty much touched on, which is usually the case. I'll just say that you know they kept cracking me up and they kept calling these kids the urban child. Mm-hmm. Because these kids are so the antithesis of the urban child. I mean, they just look ridiculous, and they got on my nerves really. And that's really the. I think that's the biggest fault of the movie is they didn't make the threat of the film. They didn't make it any anything where I would actually care or I was actually really ever worried about Mr. T at all. No. Whereas you look at um, Class of 1984, another excellent Canadian Youth Gone Wild film, and the four main youth gone wild, so to speak, seem a little bit more charismatic and threatening. There's allusions to the Hitler youth, which is kind of uh, interesting. And Mm -hmm. Perry King, who's cast as the teacher, certainly seems more vulnerable than the heavily muscled, mohawked Mr. T. So, Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, we've talked about this off the air, but I don't know if we talked about it on the air. Uh, You know, it's really a shame that Mr. T didn't really go on to, you know, be a big action star of the 80s. I just don't know what happened that... You know, he became a kid's icon and stuff. It seems like they could have made, you know, PG, PG action movies for him, you know, and he would have been, he would have had a huge career because he was so big in the 80s, man. He was, uh, he was really iconic, really iconic in the 80s. I, I don't understand it either. It's a shame, but uh, I guess I'll kick it over to you for Make or Breaks and MVTs. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get through it here. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll do it first since we, uh, since we want to get through this one pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my make or break for the film is uh, the it's really a break. The message is handled badly. That's really the biggest problem with the film. It's so heavy handed. It's really, it's really ridiculous. Uh, I did like the scene with the mom, uh, where she's running after the boy. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I caught myself laughing more than I caught myself feeling bad. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> and that's not good. And I don't want to give it away because if anybody wants to pursue this, it might be the best moment of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. I don't I don't want to give it away, but I, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it and you know that's a little silly. Uh, my MVT obviously is Mr. T. There's really no way around it. He's really the only reason to watch this film. If you're a Mr. T completist, let me say, if you're a completist, I would look into this movie. If you're looking for entertainment, I would probably avoid this and stick with DC Cab and, and Penitentiary 2 and, of course, the immortal Clubber Lang. I would yes. kind of stay away from Straight Line because it does. It literally, as I told Will off the air when we talked about it, this movie literally walks a straight line. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. a, it is the straightest movie I've ever seen, maybe. On this show, for sure, we've done. It is the most straight movie I think I've ever seen. I at least admire, um, what was that movie we watched? Uh Oh, the Cutthroat's Nine. I admired Cutthroat's Nine for the idea and some of the surreal imagery. Uh-huh. But this is so obviously a very play-it-by-the-numbers play made-for-TV movie. Yeah, and with that being said, my score for the film is a straight 5 out of 10. It's just completely average. Uh, the only reason why I liked it at all is just because I got to see Mr. T do a couple of interesting things. And there was a couple of good action sequences. The one with the truck was really good. I like that one. Mm, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's really the only reason why it gets a 5 out of 10. Uh, if it what, if, Mr. what if it wasn't Mr. T? Uh, probably like a 2.5 or a 3. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't Mr. T, I would have called you and said, hey, we're covering something else. <laughs> yeah, let's fucking pull the cord on this one. Yeah. All right, so I'll kick it back over to you. Okay, the break for me is, again, the fucking poodle-haired lawyer walking in like she owns the police station and just yanking everyone out of the, the interrogation room. I just got so annoyed. Like I said, the low-rent version of the, the uh, lawyer from King of New York with Christopher Wagen. Just fuck off. It's so stupid. Uh, my MVT, like I said, is is Leroy Selman himself, uh, Mr. T. Uh, but this ship, this ship was so sunk, even <laughs> his heavily oiled pecs couldn't save it. Uh, yeah, yeah. 3.5. I, I just fucking buy the numbers. Bland, made for TV, fluff. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone see it. Like I said, unless they're a Mr. T completist. Because there's a few glimmers of, of hope uh, in an otherwise inept and uninspired film. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a little harsher on it than me. I'm only, I think my five is coming strictly from my love of Mr. T. But uh, again, like you said, you asked me that question. Yeah, it would probably be like a 2.5 or a 3 of that Mr. T. Yeah. So this would definitely probably be a not recommend, again, unless you're a completist from the GGTMC. So. But we didn't know unless we've seen it. So. Yeah, got to check them out. You got to look at them, Will. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah, like exactly. a, it's the same way with breast. Uh, wait, a minute, I, I sound like a pig this morning. <laughs> you do. You're talking about gaping assholes and. Oh, well, that was in the feedback and, section. We haven't heard and, that yet. And, uh, bendy bars. And <laughs> my apologies to our female listeners, and my apologies to some of our male listeners who might be easily offended. And if you are, you shouldn't have been listening to this show for 71 episodes. Yes. All right, uh, damn, I'm getting all kinds of emails all of a sudden. Uh, I got to sign out of that. All right, uh, all right. So we'll take a break, and we'll come back and talk about Zulowski's possession. Sound good? Yes, sounds good. All right. This is Australia Calling, and we want you to be infected by our oral luster as we examine a liturgy of the most obsessive and unusual cinema available to mere mortals. Shut the fuck up, Ben. What? That's a great promo. That's a load of wank. Oh, okay, fine. How about Cinecultania? So awesome, we knock stuff off the table. That's better. How about we try... Cinecultania, a weekly podcast featuring in-depth discussion on Australian and international cinema. Classic favourites, forgotten gems, total junk. We will dig deep into Australian cinema history for your listening pleasure. Available at cinecultania.blogspot.com or find us on iTunes. 
Phantom of the dark walk through my heaven with levitation from the fish and chanty pets and these seven show bowling with rugas, flash vines, Belafonte figure. Let's get forward this birth as we confiscate your figures. Casting over brown, levitating, jiki and dashikis, the lahada car, 54, chasing diamond runners, headed ice band. The big chiller diamond convention, Harlem Buck strut, freezing world heights, Hollywood, Madam Butterfly. Let me in your house, a pleasure from the knuckles. All right, we are uh, back from break with some. Uh, some good love there. What? So, <laughs> all right, uh, good stuff. So, <laughs> we got another film to review. I'll go ahead and kick over you. It's Possession from Zulowski, but I'll kick over you for all the details. Okay, let me close. I do want to tell you, Sammy, this is really incredible. Uh, I was looking into some other Sam Neill stuff, and in development, I see The Last Dragon. I'm thinking, if I have wow. to think about the characters, I think we may have Sam Neill as Eddie Arcadian. <laughs> oh, that How could be awesome. Would that be? That could be interesting. <laughs> yes. So the film has gone up a point in my books, but uh, enough about uh, arcade moguls from 80s martial arts black exploitation films produced by Motown. Let's talk about Polish surrealism horror and possession. Uh, so, directed by Andrzej Zulowski uh, from 1981. A young woman left her family for an unspecified reason. The husband, determined to find out the truth, starts following his wife. Uh, and I'm just going to say, because there's some spoilery stuff, he founds out more uh, strange behavior and bizarre incidents that indicate something more than a love affair. So I guess that kind of sums it up, but really what can sum this film up is as bizarre as they come. I picked <laughs> this. I had seen this about a year and a half ago. My mind was instantly gelatinous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is only now solidified, and it's gelatinous again. Yeah. What did you think of the film? All right. So, uh, yeah, Possession from Zulowski here. This is uh, my first Zulowski film, Zulowski. Uh, well, first of all, I love the way this thing opens up. I mean, uh, it's very Kubrick in the way it opens up. I mean, it literally just opens with a shot, almost almost Kubrick and almost a little bit of Romero in the way that they would, they would just open films with a shot. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't bring you in with credits or any of that shit. They just brought, you know, they just opened it up. You know what I mean? So it was uh, really good stuff. And that's going to get into, you know, the talk of the architecture. And they shot this in Berlin, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it really looks... Uh, fantastic and unique and and uh, really great uh, and I really like how if you notice that like a lot of scenes on the streets are always just between like the two characters and maybe a few ancillary characters in the background but mostly it's just you know it just seems like these people are in the world of their own which kind of makes sense if you think about the film and it makes complete sense and I'm glad you noticed that every scene in the film with the exception of an explosion every scene the, the streets are empty Mm -hmm. and I listened to a little bit of the commentary, not as much as I would have, and he intentionally chose Berlin as the setting because it was a city that was divided uh, between East and West uh, Germany. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, the streets were just completely empty, yeah. And it's really weird to see a young Sam Neill. I mean, you get so used to character actors or actors like Sam Neill, you get so used to him showing up in certain kinds of films, right? So it was really weird just to see him so young. I mean, he looks so young in 1981, man. He's so he's so svelte and skinny, and 
and really odd with his gray pant, jeans, whatever kind of fucking jeans those were, like some weird kind of Wrangler jeans of some sort. <laughs> but he just, it's just really weird to see him like that because I'm so used to seeing him, you know, as kind of like, you know, the doctor or the bad guy, always wearing a suit nowadays, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and just seeing him recently in uh, Daybreakers. Uh, yes. It's, just, it's really weird to see him. He just looks so young. He almost looks like a young Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a weird way. Uh, yeah, he, he uh, of course, you know, you see some of the Sam Neill characteristics come through. Some of his acting style comes through and stuff. But uh, I like the crazy, wet Sam Neill mm-hmm. in this film. Really great. Uh, it's obviously actually also some of the most emotional acting I've ever seen from Sam Neill. Sam Neill's typically, I like him, but he's typically very wooden. Uh, in his uh, acting, I, I find him uh, to be very wooden. I, I don't know if wooden's the right word. I would say a little more one note because of the roles he plays. Yeah, yeah. I always find him. For me, he always seems a bit stiff, and not that I have a problem with that because I think there's room for stiff actors. <laughs> well, oh, you know. here we go again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh anyway, uh, I won't even mention any names of any obscure male porn stars this time. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he. I think there's room for those kind of actors as much as there is for, you know, your actors like Nicolas Cage, who's like, you know, like a bo- like a bowl of water, you know, because he's so liquid, he's all over the place. I mean, you know, you literally you cannot contain him. But I think there's room for actors like that. It's just really weird for he really uh, Sam Neill really just he he really goes in places I'm not used to seeing him go to in this film, and uh, that was really one of my very pleasant surprises about the film is that you know Sam Neill's acting. I expect him to be. Because even in the beginning, he's still kind of Sam Neill, and then we kind of get these these scenes that kind of change. And this is definitely a kind of film where you can't really give a whole lot away about the story because it kind of all hinges on one major kind of, I guess you could say, twist, sort of. But you don't really want to give it away because it's really kind of the whole film kind of hinges on it a little bit. But I really did like seeing his uh, his uh, his acting in this. Uh, one of my favorite things about the film is the score. The score is really great. It's like it's real kind of subtle, kind of chamber music almost. Really strange. Yeah, you're right. It's really, really, really cool stuff. Uh, and, you know, th- this film, I wrote down one of my notes as while I was watching this was this film, it almost even smells crazy. I mean, you're seeing people <laughs> running around. The film's very wet, let me say that, without giving anything away. It's very wet, yes. very uh, gel-covered, uh, so to speak. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and so many scenes, and I'm not talking about just certain scenes you're thinking about and we're laughing about, but I'm talking about some other scenes as well, that, you know, you can almost smell the craziness uh, I really had it really disturbs me whenever I see somebody like remember when we talked about Deadlock and we talked about uh, the sweaty character laying in this dirty bed, mm-hmm. and then this other person makes this person get out and then he lays in the bed. Yeah, that that disturbs me to no end. I don't know why, but I, I like to lay in a clean bed or as clean as my filth will allow. Anyway, yes, you know I like it for it to be my bed. I don't want to you know if if I come over to your place and you just got done running a marathon, you decide you were going to take a nap without showering. Uh, and then you said, oh, go ahead and lay down on the bed there and take a nap. It'll, it'll be okay. I'll be like, uh, well, no, that's not going to happen. That's disgusting. The bed is wet. <laughs> yes. And there's a scene in here where Sam Neill's rolling around on a bed and stuff. And it just, oh, oh, it just gives me, this is one of my pet peeves. I like, <laughs> I like a nice dry bed, Will. I don't blame you. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that's where this conversation was going to go. But there it went there anyway. Uh, this is obviously, and I'm being sarcastic here, this is a happy marriage film or a happy relationship film. Uh, it's very paralleled by our love of uh, Antichrist, and I'll say that it's it's similar in tone in some ways to Antichrist, but it's not Antichrist at all. It's it's just, it's got some similarities. So anybody that's seen Antichrist, you think you might want to avoid this? I would say don't avoid this. Check it out because it actually kind of it kind of like, it makes a really good companion piece with Antichrist. I think I would say that von Trier was very clearly influenced by Zulowski. Yep. And this film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's no doubt about it. 
and with that being said, let me get into this note here. This has what has to be considered one of the holy shit performances from an actress I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Both Neil and Johnny are so fucking unhinged in this film. Yeah, they're on edge the whole time. And uh, Johnny takes it to a level that uh, is hardly ever rivaled. Again, this this kind of goes in comparison with Antichrist in that, you know, Gainsbourg was, uh, you know, just amazing in the film. And she got overlooked for an Oscar, obviously. But it seems like a Johnny's gotten overlooked in her career for this performance because this is just... This oh, is, she won the Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival. Well, she should. Yeah, she should have because yeah. this is just insane acting. I mean, she... There's a scene in this film, and we'll talk about it more a little later. There's a scene in this film that borders on absurdity... And yet it is hypnotizing and crazy and oh man, it's just it's just one of the most insane scenes I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, I've watched you know, fucking Jodorowsky films, I watched all kinds of shit. But this uh this one this one scene, and I know I know you know what I'm talking about. And I don't want to give oh, it away because yeah. I want I mean I'll talk about it in my make or break, but wow, that's all I gotta say. I mean, wow. You know, I mean it's just you know, Nicolas Cage is going, Man, she's she's going a little too far. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> And that's saying a lot, you know what I mean? So it's it's one of those kind of performances. And yet it, it works completely for the piece. The piece is, is fun. The, the practical effects in this film are super creepy. There's a scene where we see this kind of trunk beast of some sort with these big eyeballs. Uh, that stuck with me and will stick with me forever. That image is... Uh, there's a couple of images in here that uh, are disturbing. One, I don't want to give away. <laughs> yeah. One, I don't really want to give away at all because it's a hell of a payoff. But the other one, I'll give away the trunk beast because it's just like, what the fuck is that? It is also very, very obvious that Clive Barker was influenced by this film for Hellraiser. Yes, yes. There's scenes where they're walking into this apartment and you're seeing certain things and you're like, holy shit. It's really, some of that just kind of absurd, kind of, uh, it's just really strange stuff. It's kind of esoteric, very... Uh, just very odd stuff, but I, I like that. I like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Very, you can see some Cronenberg in here. You can see all kinds of stuff in here. I mean, well, you, I'm not saying that Zulowski ripped these guys off. I'm just saying you can see a lot of these guys had seen the Zulowski film, and this looks like it would have been one of those films that just would have been big among filmmakers anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, filmmakers would have been passing this sucker off on people. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, because the tech beyond all of that stuff, the technique is immaculate. The cinematography is incredible. Before Steadicam even even existed, oh yeah, the cinematography is incredible. In yeah, yeah. There's a mo- a lot of moving camera in here. There's some handheld, uh, some really great moving camera shots. Especially uh, my favorite uh, moving camera shot is the one where he's uh, you know it's a very Kubrickian. They're in the big white room with the blue mm. floor, and it starts on one side of the room, and then they just go in a full uh, half circle. A full half circle. That don't even make any sense. They go, <laughs> they go in a half circle around uh, the scene while it's being shot, and they time it perfectly and stuff. And I can imagine they probably had to shoot that scene quite often because yeah. it seems like it's a timing issue. But it was a really great shot, and you know I can see why you you liked a lot right from the get go because it's really kind of hypnotizing the way it looks and stuff. It really looks fantastic. Uh, it's it's really got a great look to it. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot more notes because I don't really want to talk too much about the plot. I will just say that. There's some scenes in here that just disturb me for so many reasons, uh, and and uh, you know Heinrich is <laughs> Heinrich is strange. Uh, you know, you get this character that comes out of nowhere that seems like this kind of homosexual German Liberace and weird character, and all of a sudden he knows kung fu, and it's like, what the hell? Where'd that come from? You know, and oh, it's just so weird, you know. And he he creeped me out too, man. He seemed like this like dirty old man. Yeah, he's he's a very very bizarre character who 
does almost he does interpretive dance to his lines sometimes. Yeah. Like he has his hand at his forehead and his fingers are fluttering like he's getting a psychic flash and he's into the the occult and and uh, what's that Indian uh, sexual practice uh, tantric oh. sex. And, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just really a bizarre. He lives with his mother. His mother knows about his <laughs> sexual conquest. There's a lot being said here that you could watch this film a dozen times and not glean everything from it, and you could shift your perspective or what you think the things mean. Yeah, because to me, I know that Zulowski was going through a breakup with his wife at the time of this film. I almost wonder if the Heinrich character was a lover uh-huh. because you could almost see the character being um, a little bit of disdain for that type, the European liberal sexy kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, yeah. He totally, he seems almost like a caricature in some ways. Yes. And, yes. and you know, he's, he's very, he's very flamboyant. It's a very strange character, but yeah, I could sure. see that. I could see that he was maybe, you know, he kind of channeled some anger into that character in some way or something. Anger at that character maybe might be the better way to say it. But the performance uh, should be said of the actor, mm-hmm. who's a German actor, Heinz Bennett, is fantastic. And you should hate the character, but he's so oddly and strangely charismatic that you don't quite hate him because he's just so bizarre. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, he is. And speaking of bizarre, uh, let me just say that uh, the other... I, I don't know if I want to give this away or not. Yeah, I guess I can give it away. Um, the... The kind of doppelganger elements. Uh, okay, you don't say too much specifics, but yes, yes. That, that, that led to some bizarreness, too. Some kind of weird moments that uh, really stuck with me. And they're kind of weird, kind of... I don't know I don't know how to really say it without giving anything away. Are you so, referring to the teacher or the end of the film? I'm talking, to the, I'm talking about the teacher. Okay, I can, we can talk about the teacher if you want. Um, let's, I, don't, I, think that's, no, I don't think that's a spoiler. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, so... Sam Neill and his wife, again, played by Ajani, they're on the out, so obviously Splitsville time. Um, <laughs> to say the least. And, and they have a son, Bob, who's, if I had to guess, maybe eight, eight, seven, between six and eight, six and nine years old. Bob goes to school uh, because the father was away so much with his work. Uh, it's alluded to that he's a bit of a spy, a, a special agent, secret agent man. Mm-hmm. Um, he never really took his son to school, but now being having a complete fucking meltdown... He's, he quit his job and he's taking care of the son yeah. um, in the wife's absence. And he goes to the school and he sees that the teacher is an identical replica of his <laughs> wife, Isabella Johnny, except she has green eyes and longer hair. And what I gleaned from that, Sammy, because Bob, the son, sees obviously the teacher every day. Right. She, to me, was... Where's my note here? Um, the... Uh, because I think it was an interesting choice that I didn't quite understand at first. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think that to me it was almost like that they looked at her almost as the ideal woman, but because they had love for the the mother slash wife, they gave they he they they gave her the the look of the wife or the mother, but. It was their ideal object of femininity: the nurturer, the carer, the the, the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, as we see her character be, and I just think they, they because they loved the mother, they tried to fit that look. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm not making as much sense because I can't find my note, but when I get to it, I'll maybe mention <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's not it's not really easy to make sense of it because there's more going on here than just a doppelganger element. There's a little bit more going on, and we kind of talked about it last night. You kind of talked about it a little bit more, and I'll let you talk about it when you get to your notes because I know what you're going to discuss when you get to it. 
Uh, my last note for the film, I'll kick it over to you, is I'm just going to say this plain and simple, and it's not a spoiler because it's on the box a little bit, but all I'm going to say is uh, tentacles, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, all. Some pretty repulsive <laughs> moments with tentacles, and it should be said. Uh, let's talk about Carlo Rambaldi here for a moment. I mean, talk about practical effects. This man has won Oscars for his work in Alien and, and E.T. He designed E.T. He, e. he designed the character of E.T. Yeah. himself. Yeah, he did Deep Red, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Cameron's Closet, which is really bizarre because yeah. that film is a running joke with my father and I that we actually talked about on our ride home from the airport yesterday. As nice. Honest, it sounds. Um, and I just read something I didn't know. He did uh, some practical effects on the Fulci film Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Oh, really? Uh, some dog mutilation scenes that uh, it says here, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing from Wikipedia, were so convincingly visceral that the director Fulci was prosecuted for offenses relating to animal cruelty. No. Uh, Fulci would have served a two-year prison sentence had Rimbaldi not exhibited the film's array of props to a courtroom. Wow. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's definitely that old-school kind of, uh, well, just the kind of disturbing uh, practical effect uh, kind of look. I always thought E.T. was a disturbing-looking little thing anyway. so A little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bizarre. A little Matter of fact, the uh, eyes on the trunk character just kind of look like E.T. eyes. Yeah, I could see that. Kind of weird. All right, I'll kick it over that. to you for your notes. Um, so you'd mentioned the, the Antichrist uh, thing, a companion piece. We can see immediately that Neil's character and Johnny's character are at odds as a couple. Before we get into some of the flamboyant insanity, we see a guarded, stiff, cold uh, exterior that they're both... Well, more Johnny's character is projecting at, Ajani, uh, at Neil's character, her husband. And we can see when they get home, and what you often find in, in the the dissolving of a marriage is we see them in separate rooms and there's a great moment early on in the film when uh, it's one of those rooms that are kitty corner to each other and uh, in one room is the bathroom where Neil is watching the sun uh, as he's playing around in the bathtub and the door is that's parallel to the uh, to the bathroom is where Johnny's character is and you can see them backs turned to each other and I think that says so much about them the distance and the cold that, that can grow between a couple over time yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that it happens. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't happen in all marriages that are going bad. It just happens in most marriages that you know you eventually, you know. I mean, you eventually just it's it's not that you know you're not affectionate. It's just that you know life kind of takes over sometimes, and you kind of mm -hmm. forget that sometimes. You know, I mean, you, you know this. I mean, you have kids and stuff. So some of the attention is kind of, well, I'm not going to say some. A lot of the attention is shifted away shifted. from each. <laughs> And, you know, mm -hmm. that's no fault of, you know, um, a husband or a wife. That's just the, that's just the natural order of things. But uh, this one is, yeah, frankly, you're right. It's a little bit more cold, obviously, than, uh, and you really get that immediately. And I, th I think he sets that up really well with establishment shots of the exteriors and stuff. Yeah, you do this cold, looming uh, Berlin architecture that you just, you can't recreate that. Or you can't get the authenticity in America and certainly not Canada of that this is old world europe it sounds like an insult to say it but old world europe architecture can sometimes be lifeless but i don't think that's an insult i kind of like the way that looks but yeah uh it is kind of lifeless it's kind of bland in some ways but it, it's kind of it's unique because of that not because you know it's not a bad thing no 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 absolutely um we can see again another moment that i think is so telling and and clearly this this was a very personal thing for um Zulowski was when they're in the bed together and you can see, and this happens, I mean, with every couple where you, you make almost a mental note to yourself to say, I'm going to remain calm throughout this argument. And there's these moments where you redline and you're saying things through clenched teeth one second later. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Because when you have that fight with a husband and wife, both partners know exactly what to say to get under the other one's skin. And even if it's unintentional, those are the things that have gotten under the partner's skin. So those moments where it it's becomes very passive, aggressive yes. uh, in a fight with, with a couple, which, again, he conveys very well. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day. I was talking about how, you know, when you truly love somebody, you can piss them off quicker than anybody else. Yep. I yep. mean, you really can. I mean, you can piss. I mean, I love my wife to death, but I can piss her off in a red hot minute, man. Yeah. And I know I know what buttons to push to do that. And I know it sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I do know what buttons to push. She knows what buttons to push with me. And I'm sure that any married couple or any couple of any longitude would uh, agree with that. You know exactly where to go when you need to go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you don't mean to, sometimes you know where to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I want to talk about get away from the emotional for a moment. Talk about some of the technical stuff, because I think we're going to dwell a lot on the insanity and the emotional core of the film. I don't want to shortchange the the technical stuff because there is some stuff to behold. There's a a wonderfully realized visual moment uh, because the wife, and this isn't a spoiler, early on Johnny confesses she's having an affair with the aforementioned Heinrich. And uh, at this point he still doesn't know too much, so he's going through all of her stuff trying to find something. And he finds a postcard. You can see the Taj Mahal. He the perspective is underneath him, so you can see that the, the picture on the thing because immediately he wants to read what's on the postcard, mm-hmm. uh, and you can see his face kind of change as he reads it, and then he flips the postcard over, and now we read it while he looks at the picture. Yeah, I really like that moment again from a technical standpoint. It looked really good. Um, There's a lot of little moments in this film to talk about, but it's kind of hard to talk about them because all the little moments are what kind of gives the plot away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's the usual thing that it just cuts to the bone. Um, he be, he begins to ask those masochistic, emotionally masochistic questions of his wife. Did you sleep with him? Oh, Did yeah. you like it yeah. more than with me? And those are those questions that just burn at you and just consume you to the point where you have to ask them. Yeah. But it, you know, the answer is never going to. Yeah, they're prideful questions, which is always dangerous. Yeah, it is. It's very. Whenever you start questioning and then pride's involved, I mean, you're automatically. That's where emotion comes in, and that's where you get things like, well, unfortunately, that's where things like you know murder and stuff like that start coming into the real world. You know, is I've always thought that you know emotional violence like that is always kind of you know a husband killing a wife, wife killing a husband, a husband killing a lover, blah blah blah. I've always thought that stuff is very much uh, you know related to the you know the sin of pride because. Really, ultimately, you know, I mean, if something like that happens, you should really just walk away. But it's really hard to do that, man. It's it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene at the restaurant early on, you can see that they sit at opposite tables. Again, that body language, the, the aloofness. Um, it is the first of the really emotionally charged, raw, ferocious scenes between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Where uh, the camera follows them as she storms out of the restaurant and he's following after her, knocking over every table and chair in the place to try and get at her. Yeah, this is the moment where I was telling you I quit trying to figure out. I was watching this film trying to figure out what it was trying to tell me. And this is the moment where I decided just to let it flow uh, because it's an odd scene. It's set up really well and stuff, but it's a really odd scene because, I mean, they're really going at it. And there's people around and nobody's really paying attention to them. And let's be honest, if people were around and people were kind of going at it like that, the people would be paying attention. Now, eventually they start paying attention because Sam Neill does his best uh, mouth of the South Jimmy Hart and starts picking up chairs and shit. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, you know, some wrestling moments in here, to say the least, but uh, oh, yeah. they have to start paying attention at that point. But, I mean, he really goes off the handle, and nobody's really paying attention. They're just having their coffee and 
And, you know, it's set up really weird with the mirrors and stuff. We have some feedback about that, actually. So, Yeah. No, no, I know. And so the whole time we've kind of focused on the couple. And then we see that uh, Neil's in an undisclosed... I think, to me, it was sort of an undisclosed uh, place rolling around, wallowing in his own misery. And he says to some maid... I guess it must have been a hotel. He says to the maid, how long have I been here? And she says, three weeks. He rushes home. We don't quite know why until we open the door and we see the heartbreaking uh, visual of the child sitting on the floor, dirty, eating cereal out of a box. There's food everywhere. And yeah. we can realize that he's been abandoned mm-hmm. the whole time that uh, the parents have been away, consumed by their emotions or, mm-hmm. and or lust yeah. and or sorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, a prime example of what Zulowski does is he takes things to the extreme to illustrate the effect of it. The, the child that does get... Uh, in some of these cases, does get left behind, so to speak, because the parents are so wrapped up in, in their own individual or their items emotionally as a couple. Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting. There's a lot of comments on this film and in Antichrist on, you know, selfishness mm-hmm. and how, you know, love is a selfless act. It's not a selfish act. But for some people, love is very selfish. It's actually the most selfish thing in their life, and it destroys them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of commentary here between Zulowski and later on and in our more modern era with Von Trier when he was going through a depression of, you know, kind of the selfishness of love and how I can get uh, well, I can get really messy really quick. Mm-hmm. Very messy. And we even see and it's weird because when I watch 44 inch chest, there's uh, some infidelity in that. And it's made for an odd double bill about <laughs> cheaters and and. The thing that I always find, looking as an outsider on these people in these situations, is the emotional plea bargaining that takes place, despite the absence of trust now. Like uh, Sam Neill's character says, you can have your arrangement, just come home, don't tear apart our family. And I think to myself, are you fucked? Your wife's yeah. banging someone else. Yeah, again, it goes, it. Yeah, and again, it goes back to the selfishness, man, because he doesn't want to let go of what he's got. What a little bit of you know, pride and this little shred of dignity he's got, he doesn't want to let it go because he's just so scared. It's always the, the same thing. I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine recently. It's always the same thing. When you're young, you you know, when your relationships end, you, you go all, well, at least I did. I'll say this personally. I would think it's the end of everything. It's just the end of everything, you know. But as an adult, I realized that as bad as a relationship ending is, it's just going to be the beginning of another one. And that's just because I have, I have perspective. I'm older now. But when I was young, man, if I had a relationship end, I would go off the handle. I would flip out, you know, especially if a girl broke up with me. Mm. Oh, you know, I know. It I'd, was the, yeah. I'd be like, what did I do wrong? You know, blah, blah, blah. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'd give all of these, all the stuff that was totally the opposite of me, I would yeah, say. Yeah, you would concede everything that you are, every sense of self to uh-huh. try and salvage something that you realize now in retrospect wasn't worth salvaging. They didn't want you for who you are. The situation wasn't any good for you. Yeah, and when your emotions are high like that, you overreact. You do things that are stupid. And let's be honest. Drastic. You just, yeah, you just do drastic, stupid things. and. And I think that, that that's a really good thing. Again, that's a little moment that you're talking about that tells you a lot about Sam Neill's character without giving away too much of the rest of the film. There's these little moments. And uh, I've thought about the ending. We talked about it a little bit last night, and I told you I didn't really understand it. You didn't really understand it. We're still kind of wrapping our heads around it. But I'm starting to get a little bit more as we talk about it. And as I've thought about it last night, I'm starting to get a little bit more of what it might be about. And I think uh, I, won't, I won't say anything uh, on the air, but I'll just say you know, I think desperation has a lot to do with it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And I, for some reason, had remembered the ending different visually than it actually was, which was kind of odd. The something with an elevator that I didn't remember at all the way it happened. But um, there's uh, 
we get another moment again. Do a lot of fighting in this film between the wife and husband, where finally Sam Neill loses it and uh, he starts smacking her, and and he smacks her. He says, "You know what this is for? This is for the lies." And we can see the blood coming down her mouth. Uh, yeah, and she's almost at this point like a wounded animal. She she's still defensive a little bit, uh, despite being overpowered physically. And then she just has a line that, without having to hit him back. Because he's, she's, she's lied to him constantly. Without having to hit him back, she says, then you'll have to add much more in the way of blows to her for all the lies. You know, meaning that so much has happened that he doesn't know about. And, right. And then you talk about the, the, the rug being swept out from under you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a, and it's just how the pendulum swings the other way now. There's a great image in the film uh, where she's walking on the street after that. Oh. And she turns around to say something to him. And this blood, this blood and kind of snot and spit uh, contraption kind of comes out of her mouth. Yep, I love that scene. So it looks so real. It looked like she'd really been uh, smacked around. I mean, it didn't look like prosthetics or fake blood at all. Well, I don't know if you knew this. She tried to commit suicide uh, in the middle of this film because it was so emotionally taxing for her. Well, I mean, I mean, if anybody out there has seen the film, I think they can understand that. If anybody has not, when you see it, you'll probably will understand that. I mean, that doesn't. I mean, I would say that would surprise me, but it doesn't because her performance is off the fucking wall. I mean, this is one of the craziest performances I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know. Um, I love that a lot of the film, it's in these little hallways and small rooms and corridors. And it gives it a bit of a claustrophobic feel where it feels like the one person's always in the other person's way. Mm -hmm. And that's really how it is in these relationships. When they break down, it feels like, oh, you're in my way. You're asking me things I don't want to confront. I have to, I don't want to have to deal with this to get to where I have to go. And, right. and he uses the narrow corridors and the hallways to uh, visually show you how, how claustrophobic the characters are and in such a confined space. Well, he does one of the things that I love, and that's, again, setting up establishment shots of wide open spaces, and then he slowly shuts it down on you. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the film, it'll start out wide open, and as the film progresses, it shuts down, and the world gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which is always the case when you're going through a desperate time. Your world gets very small very quick. Yeah, yeah. There's a line in the film that said, it may seem, I don't know, maybe throwaway, but it was a very powerful line for me, and I think knowing what I know about Zolowski's, uh emotional state when he made this film, like I said, going through a messy divorce, I believe it's uh, Johnny's character that says there's nothing common amongst all women except menstruation. And to me, that is, uh, is, is a statement that women are very, very complicated creatures. They're uh, the human Rubik's Cube that you just can't quite figure out. I mean, it's not like you can pull the stickers off and, and align them uh, like you can with the Rubik's Cube. No. So to me, I think it was him being confounded at women and how complicated they are. Yeah, yeah that's a good there's point. There's no common thread, so I really liked that. Um, oh, here is the, the porn star line of the review. Apparently, <laughs> Sam Neill went to the Tom Byron School of Tanning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, less said the better. <laughs> less said the better. Um, here's something, and again, uh, Zulowski has often said that his films are what you make of them, the interpretation, they're very interpretive. And I don't know, you read into this, there's a moment when it, it, it uh, Neil's looking back at some home video of, uh, it looks like a Johnny was a ballet teacher. And I looked at this stuff, and she's a teacher, and she's pushing this girl, pushing and pushing her to the verge of tears. And I looked at that, and ballet is a metaphor for, again, femininity in society and the extreme lengths and the rigorous expectations that, that women are under at all times and the, the lengths and pains they go to, um, to to try and accomplish that. Yeah, 
No, that, that 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 works. I didn't really think of it that way. I'm kind of wrapping it around in my brain now. So, but I could see it, that. It, yeah, and and I think you know, a lot of times you get the in the film, especially between the 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 two, the doppelganger, uh, the teacher. It's it's the mother and the whore, the duality of 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 woman, and I guess in this case, duality of woman. Not to say there isn't the duality of man. Certainly there is, but in this, it's more the duality of woman. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird that the duality of woman is always kind of the Madonna horror complex or the mother horror, whereas mm-hmm. the duality of man tends to be just man and beast. Being and beast for yeah. a lot more simple. Yeah, a lot more primal. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then again, if you think about it, sex is very primal, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Um, then, of course, the infamous subway scene. Uh, so unhinged, so wild. <laughs> I had said to you, this scene reminds me of a rabid animal being possessed by a demon in the throes of an epileptic fit. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see behind-the-scenes footage of how Zulowski prepared her to do this scene. I don't know how you can prepare anyone. She <laughs> begins to expel a blood-semen-milk mixture from her, her neck and her uh, nether regions. It just, it's a very messy scene, and it's like... Did they? How many times did they shoot this? Because she makes such a mess with everything that they would have had to spray down. The, well, maybe that's why the walls of the subway were wet because they had to spray it down a few times. I'd imagine maybe so. I, I can't imagine they could have done the scene too many times though, because no, uh, it would have taken too much out of her. Yeah, she would have been too emotionally spent. I mean, the human yeah. body cannot, even acting, you cannot expel that much energy without being just completely exhausted. And I mean, when I say this, I mean you, you guys, if you haven't seen it, I mean she expels. <laughs> Every ounce of energy a human being can expel in one scene. I mean, she really yeah. does, and uh, it's definitely it's something to behold. I mean, I was laughing, I was disturbed, I was smiling. I had all kinds of things going on in that scene. Uh, it's even if there was no emotional attachment for her, like you said, yeah. just the physical nature of the scene, just insane. Yeah, and then again, if the Hellraiser and the Brood theory was ever in doubt, the evolution of something in the film is proof positive. Oh yeah, of this. Um, yeah. There's an awesome, a pretty brutal, frankly, toilet tank lid to the head scene. Oh, yeah, that's that's rough. Again, the similarities between this and Antichrist, amazing. I think Von Trier might have watched this maybe too many times. Yeah, he did. And and then the the grotesque uh, end result of that scene is, is the bloody head in the toilet. And when the toilet's flushed, the water and the blood mixture just spilling out of the toilet, making a mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at this point, you know, the bodies start piling up. The insanity's turned up even more. And we get eye-patched pink sock-wearing <laughs> secret agents. We get doppelgangers exploding cars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just, it's really insane. And I love that uh, there's a character in the credits known as Tom, uh, Thomas Frey, the actor, is known as Pink Socks Accolade. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, the end, I mean, I've seen it twice. I still don't know what quite to make of it. It's something we'll have to discuss another time. But um, I I don't know. I thought I knew, and I don't. It's it's just it's one of those things that it really is a bit of a mystery. But uh, those are all my notes. Let's uh, kick it over to you for uh, Make or Breaks, MBTs, and whatnot. All right. Uh, my Make or Break for uh, this film is obviously the uh, Johnny flipping out in the subway tunnel scene. Uh, I, I could I could have went with a bunch of scenes. There's a whole, a whole bunch of great scenes in the film. Yeah, we didn't even talk about either one of them taking the electric knife to their neck and arm, respectively. <laughs> yeah, the electric, the electric, the, yeah, the carving knife, the electric the carving, carving knife. knife. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I cannot talk about that scene in the tunnel, though. I mean, that's just something. That's you know, like I said before, I've seen a lot of movies, and that's just something I've never seen before. You know, 
Not to that level. I've seen some flipping out on camera before, trust me, but the, yeah. not to this level. This level I mean, is <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Even Werner Herzog would be impressed, you know? It makes Elizabeth Hurley's orgasms seem quaint and, and dull by comparison. Yeah. Even Klaus Kinski would be like, whoa, tone it down. Dial it back a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, him of the very subtle acting. Uh, yeah. My MVT for the film is, I could have went with Zalowski, and I really thought about going with him because it's his piece. He wrote it. He directed it. Uh, I really thought about going with him, but I kind of got to give it to a Johnny who I really, I, I think she is a pretty lady. Uh, I've seen her in other films, and I've liked her in other films, uh, but she really hypnotized me with the performance she had in this film. It's at times uh, robotic and at times completely and totally real and human. And uh, it's just a really weird performance uh, and uh, one to behold, to say the least. I'd say if I was going to make a list of top 25 performances of all time, this would definitely, for female actress, this would definitely go in there. Because it's just, it's, it's, she really walks a fine line between, uh, you know, re- reality and unreality, you know, the kind of surreal reality you know you know what i'm talking about it's kind of she really yeah and then having to play the the mother role uh of the teacher too yeah i mean she really yeah she really goes back and forth and i can really imagine that this film really did her in in a lot of ways uh it's really funny that the alternate title for this the usa reissue title is the night the screaming stops makes it really sound like a horror film (laughs) yeah it's so stupid this thing film was originally put out in like an 85 minute heavily edited version which must have made no sense yeah yeah but yeah, I mean, I have to give it to her. I mean, she just, uh, this is actually my favorite performance by her. Before this, I kind of liked her in a few things, but this is really the one uh, that I always remember her for at this point because she, she's fantastic in this one. Uh, and of course, I remember her. She did work with, uh, you know, the great Klaus Kinski at one point in time. I don't know if you recall. I don't know if you've ever seen Werner Herzog's her, uh, Nosferatu, but she's in there. Uh, no, never have. Uh, I'm more familiar with her in Walter Hill's The Driver, where her performance is as minimal as it comes. And then to see <laughs> yeah. it over the edge in this, it's quite a companion piece to the two performances. Yeah. You should definitely check out uh, Herzog's uh, vampire movie. It's fucking bizarre. <laughs> oh, I've always meant to. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get around to it. Too. Yep. Uh, and so my score for the film is... A- solid 8 out of 10. I'm really glad I saw this film finally. I really really liked it. Uh, it's really interesting to have a week we had this week which is uh, you know we had uh, Straight Line which was as by the book as it gets and then this film which is completely completely off the rails like little William yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah he came in the room two trains in his hands. He's in my arms right now. Uh, my make or break scene is just the emotional scenes with Neil and Johnny. They both had to give everything. I don't want to sell him short as much as she's a bit showier in the film uh, they're both uh-huh. fantastic in it uh, NVTs are uh, Johnny and Neil again you couldn't have the perform the film without their performances right that's yes that's Thomas the train <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> he's in this film too yes yes he is uh, and my score for the film is an 8.25 out of 10 nice fantastic film uh, again this film's not for everyone at all but if you're into this if it sounds like you're sort of a thing an adventurous European confounding surrealist uh, film then um check it out yeah check it out if you're definitely into that kind of stuff all right we're going to take a break and we're going to come back we got mountains of feedback and we're going to hit that so we will be back uh my boy say (laughs) bye-bye say bye-bye that's the microphone say bye-bye bye-bye there you go there we (laughs) go all right we'll uh we'll take a break we'll be back after this want to tell the world about that crappy big budget flick or get people to buy that barely noticed book or cd that rocked your world can't quit talking about pop culture then become a blogger at one of the fastest growing review sites online 
popsyndicate.com is searching for people who want to blog about movies, DVDs, books, comics, anime, music, TV shows, and more. Check it all out at popsyndicate.com and email the editor for details. Popsyndicate.com, your virtual pit stop for all things pop culture. Face in the sand, not the last mafioso. I'm a MC cop. Make it say go LL and do the what? If you think you cannot ride me, yeah, boy, I bet. Cause I ain't met a motherfucker who could do that yet. Trent said I'm better, but rhymes are good. I got a go name play that says I wish you would. And when I begin, then I gotta join in and before my rhyme is over, you know I'm a win. Cool J has arrived, so you better make way. Ask anybody in the crowd, they say the kid don't play. All right, we were uh, back from break with some uh, gold-plated jewelry and uh, Kango hats. How fitting! <laughs> we were ready to <laughs> ready to go. Awesome. Uh, that's a great song. I'm glad you said that to me. I love that song. It was a song back from my Ute. There. Oh yeah, man. I I hadn't heard it in a long time, and it just popped into my head, and I immediately changed my Facebook status uh, to Will Smith has a gold name plate that says "I wish uh, I wish you would." Yeah, I saw that, and I <laughs> and I knew immediately what it was, and I was like, "Wow, that's reaching that's reaching back in the old vault." Yeah, man, for sure. The tape the tape days. Yes, yes. I actually I actually bought that on cassette when it came out. Yeah, man. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay. So we have a lot of feedback this uh, week, so let's get ripping on it. Is that yes, very. F- get ripping. The first, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know. Get ripping is a, I don't know. I, I was under, I'm double thinking what I said. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to be thought of as in, syntactically or whatever that word was like I used, uh, retarded. Uh, yeah, I know syntax would, and you know what, let's just jump into it. Fuck <laughs> yeah, it. Yes. Uh, I want to thank Bjornar for all of his... Uh, uh, sportsmanship throughout the Olympics and cheering on Team Canada, but even more than <laughs> that, I want to thank him for the awesome Photoshop of the Man of War heavy leather metal band. Uh, he's <laughs> managed to put Chuck Norris, Burt Reynolds, Henry Silva, and Sylvester Stallone in the band. Uh, it should be said that Norris is now wearing leather studs with a leather codpiece. Uh, Stallone is wearing white a white leather half shirt. Uh, and a white leather cod piece. Uh, Bert's wearing probably the worst or best S&M outfit, the side of anything. And uh, the Silva's, I guess, maybe the most restrained in a wine-colored leather-studded outfit. So, <laughs> well done, Bjornar. Yes. You know, you, uh, you know you're on top when you start getting out the wine-colored leather. Yes. <laughs> um, but thank you for that. Uh, the next one we got is from our good friend Chris of uncoolcat.blogspot.com. It says, come and see. Dear sirs, thanks for your fantastic top 30 list. You provided me with lots of films to put on my must-see list that I probably wouldn't have thought to watch otherwise. I particularly want to see City of Life and Death, which was on Big Willie's list since he seemed so passionate about it. Hearing him speak of the film reminded me of another anti-war classic made under a communist regime. Uh, Elim Klimov's 1985 masterpiece, Come and See, which was filmed in the Soviet Union, has to be one of the most distressing and horrifying films I've ever witnessed. And it does feel like you're witnessing something rather than simply viewing a movie. 
The audience sees the film through the eyes of a naive young boy who wants to become a soldier in World War II. The camera literally follows him as he sees atrocity after atrocity. I don't want to say much more for those who have yet to see it, but the ending of the film left me floored. This is one of those films the audience experiences and will leave one shaken, but I think it's important to see. If either of you have seen this, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the film. And congratulations, Samurai. And I love this line that he says, I anticipate finding out if your son chooses the ball or the sword. Keep up the great work, Chris. Again, uncoolcat.blogspot.com. Nice. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, let's see here. Come and see. I have that film, and I still have not watched it yet. Somebody else wrote in about that. Yeah, a while ago. And I I had had it on my zip queue for ages. Uh, and I want to get around to it, too. Um, I guess we maybe we should add it to the show at some point. Maybe, maybe, maybe that might be the best way for me to get around to it. Although I am watching more films for entertainment purposes, as you guys heard in the opening. So uh, maybe I'll get around to it. I don't know if that's going to be entertainment or not, though. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Uh, do you want to switch off or do you want me to just read here? Uh, yeah, just keep going. Okay. Next I'm, one is I'm from kind of the... doing something behind the scenes over here anyway. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> as long as your breathing doesn't increase, uh, we'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> the next one is from the naked one himself. That's Naked Eskimo. It says, Eski checks in. Antichrist, don't care. Moon, haven't seen it. Precious, really could give a shit at less. Various Eurocrime films, not really my bag. No, what makes me want to write in? DC fucking cab. <laughs> to be honest, I have no idea why I love GGTMC as much as I do. And I do, don't get me wrong. Listening to you guys talk and listening to your fans talk makes me realize I'm a noob use a gaming expression yeah. compared to both you fellas and most of your fans as that excuse me as evidence to that i present you the fact that i got unreasonably excited when i heard you were covering wraith and dc cab so much though that i immediately put dc cab in my netflix instant watch queue and sat down to watch it for the first time in probably 15 years i fucking love dc cab it's the movie i think of every single time i see adam baldwin though that's slowly being overtaken by his monumental performance as jane on firefly that's the first movie and only movie i ever saw with the barbarian brothers it's also the movie that defines Mr. T and Gary Busey for me. I spent an inordinate amount of time with this film as a child, and it made my day to know that one of those films from my youth uh, is every bit as fun as I remember it being. I even like Tyrone, but it's probably because the angry black guy was so common in the 80s. It's a stereotype that doesn't bother me because, well, it can be pretty damn funny to watch. I also begrudgingly like the kidnapping plotline because it opens the door to most of the really funny moments in the film. Take it out, and I have no idea how you'd end this thing. By the way, did anyone catch the girl Baldwin was chasing was underage? She made a crack about turning 18 in a few months at one point. I found that sort of interesting. <laughs> uh, nothing to add about the Wraith either. It's the crow with the car. Yes, it came before the crow, but you and I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, I was obsessed with this one as a kid because of the car. That thing was badass. Someone asked about death by appliance in the Valentine episode. Isn't there a scene in Eastwood's tightrope where his maid gets stuffed in a dryer? Am I losing my mind? And yes... Uh, a, this is a character's head I won't say the name that he says a character's head does end up in the dryer in Identity everyone needs to see District B13 that movie is unfucking real Esky out alright um, yeah just as, uh, all I can add to that is uh, yeah, the DC Cab Wraith episode we've talked about it off the air it went over really well yeah yeah. It, it, you know, one of those things um, we were fortunate that uh, we covered those films because everyone's really enjoyed the the blast from the past. Um, beyond that, Eski, um, I haven't seen District 13. I have seen the original District 9, which is the French uh, parkour film, which I really enjoyed. But I just haven't been too hot nuts to see the uh, 
the sequel yet, but maybe I'll have to check it out. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. Next. Oh, this is an interesting one, actually. Um, it's titled Episode 70. I found your podcast about a month ago, and I've really been enjoying episodes both new and old. I've seen a lot of these films, and you guys really seem to enjoy watching and reviewing them. You've really been a highlight of my podcast listening. That being said, I'm done after episode 70. I didn't get any further than the Climate Gate conversation, and now I'm unsubscribed and won't return. When you believe what you believe about climate change and Climate Gate specifically isn't my issue. I'm not a guy who would ever tell someone they can't believe what they want to believe, but I don't subscribe to your podcast to listen to your misunderstanding of science and opinions based on lack of research. Climate Gate has been thoroughly debunked from every possible angle, and the smallest amount of research will show that, and climate change has scientific consensus now. It's not a matter of opinion as to whether or not it's happening. Again, that's not the issue. If you guys want to keep believing all that despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, that's fine, and it's your podcast, you're in control, and I would never tell you what you can and can't say on it. But I don't want to listen to politics when all I wanted to hear about was DC Cab or Andy Sedaris movie. So you've lost me. I wish you guys good luck in the future, and for what it's worth, I really enjoyed every episode I heard up until this one. Jeffrey. All right, listeners, so you hear that. I think some of the Twitter people that follow me on Twitter know about this one anyway a little bit because I've talked about it. But, uh, yeah, I'll let you guys decide on what you think about that. Maybe you can write in some feedback about it. But, uh, yeah, evidently we talked about climate change for like three minutes on a show that puts out 12 hours of content a month, and this guy had enough. So I guess we were too political. for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were a very politically charged show. So, I mean... You know, I, I told you, Sammy, I went back and I listened to it to see if I'd says, we'd said something. Because we're mindful to try and not say things that are too political statement. Um, because we're not that show. We never proclaim to be experts. But I don't want to say any more on this issue other than to say neither one of us denies that there's anything going on in the earth. But at the same time, when there's been factual proof that reports were doctored, that's where I have a problem with. We, I made it clear, and, and Sammy made it clear, this wasn't about uh, liberal or a sort of Democrat, Republican, it was about truth and nothing more, nothing less. So if, you know, you want to stop subscribing and maybe you never hear this, uh, Jeffrey, but that's fine. I mean, I, you know, respectfully, if, if you want to get that worked up over it, then so be it. I mean, but to say that you didn't have an issue with what we said, clearly you did have an issue because <laughs> you said you enjoyed the show and, that, and yet now you immediately stopped the show and unsubscribed. So, yeah, it's funny because he says we, we don't have an issue. He doesn't have an issue. But then he goes into the details of why he quit listening to the show. But again, he does not have an issue. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the less said, the better. Jeffrey, I, you know, I do want to say this to be as, as even keeled as possible. You did have some very complimentary things to say, and, and I do appreciate that. Uh, you know, some people, if they had been always worked up as you were, right or wrong, that's not you feel the way you feel. And, and that's right to you, and that's fine. But you still went to a length to say you enjoyed what we did. So I do appreciate that, despite you being very soured on what we had said. So that's that. Moving on. Um, the next one is from Good Friend Dusty. Uh, and it's not the American dream, Sammy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, although Dusty's living some of our dreams by being a, an aspiring filmmaker. Um, nice, nice. Hello, gents. Great show on the year that was 2009. I had a few quick thoughts to add, and this time I'm actually going to proofread my email to make sure I don't make any typing gaffes. First off, some thoughts on Inglorious Bastards that I know placed me squarely in the minority. I had a hard time liking Inglorious Bastards, despite the fact that I know it's crammed full of cinematic excellence. The main thing that bothered me was how Tarantino rewrote history and changed the ending of World War II. 
I know it's only a movie, but I found that was really disrespectful to the atrocities that were committed during the war. As awful as these disasters were, we can still study them and learn from the past. Not that I always go to the movies for a history lesson, but I found the revisionist history a tough pill to swallow. There were other issues. I thought I was going to see a really great Brad Pitt performance, a la Fight Clever California. When Pitt gets a character he can really dig into, he's dynamite. Instead, I felt like he was really phoning it in. And Eli Roth, I felt like I was watching a high school play when Roth was on the screen, and I was really rooting for him to do well. My main issue with uh, Bastards was that I just didn't care about any of it. Sure, it worked as popcorn entertainment, but it left me emotionally cold. I wish Tarantino would get back to delivering on the potential he showed in Jackie Brown. That movie was about real characters that I was invested in. It also didn't have a typical movie ending. I really hope Tarantino does a 180 with his next movie. Why not a Main Street slice of life about a loser kid who works in a video store, for example? Something that has some heart. Who the hell, and it says in brackets, who the hell am I to be offering QT career advice? <laughs> I'm still planning to watch Bastards again on DVD to give it a fair shake. Enough said. I hardly got to see any current releases last year due to a long stretch of unemployment. Thank God that's over. Silver lining was that I had time to watch a lot of older stuff. Yeah. So I can't send you a proper top 10 list. Instead, I'll provide you with a list of movies that yours truly watched last year and enjoyed. Best movies, current release from 2009, up in the air. An American classic is born. Movies that made me say, holy crap, why haven't I seen this before? McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Seventh Seal, Cries and Whispers, and The Wild Bunch. And the best trash I saw, Invasion of the B-Girls in an old sci-fi movie called Android that has some striking similarities to Moon. Uh, this is a shamefully long email. Good Christ, why don't I send you a freaking Russian novel while I'm at it? Feel free to cut it down. Finally, I want to raise a virtual glass to Sammy for being a daddy-to-be. Congrats, man. Really happy for you. Okay, that's it. Uh, take care. Dusty. P.S. I'm going to start a blog with a friend of mine, so I'll have my own place to blab on and on. I'll send you guys a link when it's up. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean... I think you know just because you know you know Inglorious Bastards is kind of universally loved in the geek community doesn't mean you have to like it. I mean you know I can understand if somebody doesn't like it doesn't uh, doesn't uh, have to be loved. So I wouldn't feel too out of place if I was you, Dusty. Uh, no. Uh, no. There's quite a few times. I mean I didn't like District Nine as much as some people did, and uh, I didn't see what all the hype was about. I liked it, but I didn't love it. So. Well, I think two common examples of, of films that I could care less about that the whole community got frothed up over were uh, Drag Me to Hell. And I've even said something even more potentially dangerous in that I don't care about Sam Raimi as a filmmaker. Mm. I think he's tired and rips himself off too much. And I also didn't like Black Dynamite. So the beauty of film is that it's subjective and you've watched it and given it a fair shake. It didn't appeal to you. C'est la vie. You're obviously trying to uh, expand your horizons with stuff like Seven Seal and and even some of the awesome uh, stuff like Android, which oddly enough, Sammy and I had talked about covering on, <laughs> on an upcoming episode. Yes, so, yes. Um, yeah, don't, don't don't apologize. I mean, your feelings are your feelings. You stated why you didn't like it, and that's good. Uh, so, moving on. Uh, CDB sent us an email just saying that they're going to have their biggest sale ever uh, upcoming. Uh, instead of the gentleman code, which you normally use, people... Um, I mentioned this now, Sammy, so I don't forget to mention at the end of the show. Okay. Uh, if you put in the promo code COLLECTOR, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-O-R, 20% off your orders. Nice. So it's buy, th- uh, buy two, get one free. On top of that, 20% off and free shipping. It's nice. pretty insane. Nice. Oh, and I also want to thank Dusty for uh, the congrats on the baby thing. So. Oh, my apologies, Sammy. Uh, that's okay. I just remembered to thank you just now. <laughs> uh, let's see here. For a sip of coffee. Oh, nice. Most excellent. <laughs> um, 
Soul Power is the title of the email. By the way, I make that same noise after my first line of Coke in the mornings. <laughs> nice. Uh, greetings to the Sam Ryan Big Will from the British Isle. Before I get to the crux of the email, I congratulate Sam on being a future father. Thank you. I'll, pa- I'll pause. Okay, good. <laughs> there we go. Forget someone else. And there may be the possibility of a second generation host for the podcast in the future to come. Nice. Uh, after last week's 2009 overview show, I'd like to mention a documentary that would have gone on to my top 10 if I'd seen it before I emailed my list to the show. The documentary is Soul Power, chronicling the Zaire 74 Music Festival, planned to coincide with the famous Muhammad Ali and George Foreman Rumble in the Jungle fight and to feature the best of African-American and African musicians, including B.B. King and the late James Brown. Even though the fight was postponed, the festival continued, but in the years following, the footage was never compiled until it was made into this 2009 film. The single disappointment is that except for Brown, every other musician gets only one song. But what I saw uh, was an important document of an event that I would have never heard of with that I would have never have heard of with incredible music. It's a solid recommendation for me. If that doesn't convince you, it's worth watching alone for James Brown with a great mustache and full of energy. It does make <laughs> you wonder, though, considering how many times he does the splits and what footage is seen, how he never heard himself. Considering one of his songs was about him being a sex machine. The last thing he would want to happen is to slip mid-move and hurt himself in a very private area. There's an image pause for thought and uh, and and this email with, isn't it? Uh, sincerely, Michael H. All right. Thanks for that. Oh, I don't really have anything to add to that one unless you do. Uh, I do want to say, oh, Wicked, the documentary is on Zip. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Uh, I'm a huge, oh, wow. James Brown's wearing a ruffled shirt with an incredible mustache and pompadour on the cover of this yeah. DVD. Why not? Why wouldn't uh, he be? <laughs> why wouldn't he be? Uh, I'm a huge... Oh, Bill Withers. Wow, there's some really good musicians in this. Um, I'm adding this to my queue right now. Uh, I love James Brown. Uh, and I'm sitting around with my friends drinking and whatnot. I used to love listening to James Brown. It just it had a vibe. You know, James Brown's the man. Uh, but yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I guess it's time to jump into some... Voicemail. All right. We got quite a bit here, so give me a second to queue them up and we'll get going. Hang on a second. Here we. First one should start playing here shortly. Actually, hang on a second. Let me, uh, let me show you that I'm computer illiterate and restart. <laughs> here we go. You too can do a podcast. Hang on. Hello, gentlemen of Midnight. Uh, Ian here. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, just got done listening to your extravaganza of a show. Uh, your uh, your look back at 2009 and uh, a damn fine time it was too. Um, so I thought I'd just chime in with um, some of mine. I'm going to keep to the three minutes. Don't worry. Um, so yeah, uh, I basically based this on films that I saw in 2009 that were kind of news so there are a few kind of foibles and whatnot and then for um uh, for instance um profit um i actually count as a 2010 film as it was released over here um a few weeks back so uh but suffice it to say it's my favorite film of uh, 2010 so far um so uh my honorable mentions would be uh doubt knowing the good the bad and the weird away we go cloudy with a chance of meatballs uh, which was actually my second favourite animated film of the year. Uh, the Mayreen films, uh, Harry Brown, Paper Hearts, uh, Paranormal Activity and Red Cliff. 
uh, and also first actually and going into my 20 uh, my number 20 would be Bad Lieutenant Port Cool New Orleans 19 The Wrestler 18 Watchmen 17 Antichrist 16 Crank 2 High Voltage 15 Star Trek 14 The Informants uh, 13 A Serious Man 12 District 9 and 11 Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, and then oh wow I'm halfway through already okay uh, my number 10 would be uh, House of the Devil which I thought was a damn damn fine piece of work uh, number 9 Observe and Report a film which for me just gets better on every viewing actually uh, number 8 The Hurt Locker um, only seen it the once but it kicked my ass um, 7 I was a bit cheeky and had a tie uh, Drag Me to Hell and Trick or Treat um, I kind of consider Trick or Treat a 2009 release to be honest so there you go uh, six Moon, uh, five Inglorious Bastards, four Public Enemies, which uh, you, you guys know I loved. Um, three Where the Wild Things Are, which I thought was um, a stunning piece of work on pretty much every level, to be honest. Uh, my number two, one which nobody on the show mentioned last week, but you know, fair enough. Um, five Hundred Days of Summer, um, a film which really, really spoke to me quite profoundly so um, there you go and my number one film of 2009 was actually Black Dynamite um, I first saw it about two or three months ago and I've already seen it six times um, it's the most consistently entertaining and just plain funny film for me um, uh, of, of uh, 2009 and was I, I, I don't know just tickled me more than any other film of the year so I'm coming up to three minutes so uh, there's <laughs> a lot of films but uh, there you go alright cheers guys bye yes Ian uh, minding the three minute rule and knocking it out man <laughs> yeah three, 30 films in three minutes yes. very nice you guys might want to go back and listen to that there's a lot of good stuff in there you know the only reason why 500 Days of Summer I'll be honest with you is not in my list at all is because honestly I didn't see it yet I still haven't seen that thing Neither have I. I'm, I've been sitting here with it for a long time. I mean, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's one of my favorite actors uh, after his turns in Brick and Mysterious Skin, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, I will, and I'll, I'll note that it probably would have made my list uh, if, in fact, it would do so when I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we did 30 films, so it's quite possible it might make the list. I don't know. Uh, I, I like uh, uh, romantic movies a little bit more than uh, Large William, but uh, I don't I don't know. I just I don't know why I haven't got around to that thing. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's been it's just been around forever. And I just haven't got around to it. <laughs> oh, I have no excuse. All right, next voicemail. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ian. We appreciate the uh, top. Uh, did he give us thirty? Yeah, he did give us thirty. Yeah, he did, man. He knocked it out. Well, outstanding. All right, next voicemail. Uh, y'all made somebody made the statement that they didn't know how they could pick their top five favorite slashers, and uh, felt like that was a gauntlet being thrown down. <laughs> so without to think real hard on it. Terror Train, My Bloody Valentine, the original. I Deadly Night, Maniac Cop, and Friday Thirteenth Part Four. Part oh. Four because the honestly the psychological ramifications of Tommy seeing what he saw, and you know this is injecting realism into a slasher or whatever, are just fucking staggering. Um, and then the other four. Uh, I tend to pick my slashers based on kills and the killer. Uh, those four all had, uh, the other four all had uh, killers with a great look and some really memorable deaths from the concrete maniac cop to the antlers in Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, every kill in Terror Train kind of freaks me the fuck out because 
uh, I just thought the atmosphere in that movie is amazing. <laughs> and and y'all already talked ad nauseum about my bloody Valentine. Um, and then one other thing, and I'm trying to short because I left y'all a pretty epic email. Um, one other thing, you guys and, and the listeners are fucking nuts because Maggie Gyllenhaal is hot. I mean, no. fucking smoking. You're out of your mind. Later. Just ask them all, of course. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just not a fan of the Gyllenhaal. Uh, oh, no, Mesky, no. <laughs> but it's okay. You can add her to your, uh, you know, that list of you would if you could. <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, otherwise, good stuff. And, yeah. again, we talked about covering Maniac Cop at some point. I haven't seen those films in years. And, yeah, we, we um, might do that as a trilogy GTMC. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. That would be... Awesome. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, yeah, you, 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 me, Gyllenhaal, and Swil- uh, Swinton uh, get a hotel in Texas. We'll go down. You, you four can do that. I'll break it. I'll bring it with the tripod for you guys. <laughs> you'll be the you'll be the Bob Crane yes. of, the, <laughs> of the proceedings, and I'll be like, Will, quit touching my ass. <laughs> oh yeah. <Wait>. No. <laughs> uh, no, but you know the funny thing he says, you know, Terror Train. That's not really a great film, but that killer in Terror Train disturbed me as a child. Oh. Oh, you mean Gene Shalit? Yeah, Gene Shalit, man. It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's again, it's that mask, Sammy. It's, yeah. it's freaked, the, freaked me the fuck out. And it is. It is the mask because it's the eyes behind the mask that really freaked me out. Yep. All right. Next voicemail. This is a fun one. I'm a little bit country and I'm a little bit rock and roll. Got a little bit of Memphis and Nashville. Got a little bit of Motown in my soul. Don't know if it's good or bad, but I know I love it so. I'm a little bit country. And I'm a little bit rock and roll. I'm a little bit country. And I'm a little bit rock and roll. I got a little bit of Memphis and Nashville. Got a little bit of Motown in my soul. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I know I love it so. I'm a little bit country. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was a dog zom there. <laughs> the one and only. He's got to do a Barbara Mandrell song at some point. I I just I would like to, I, I'd like to see a video of him singing into the phone. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, there's more from Dog Zom later, but that was uh, the original one there. <laughs> All right, next next voicemail. Hello, gents. This is Ben from Cine Coltania calling. I believe this is the first time I've called in. Actually, uh, I just thought I'd leave you hopefully brief message. I just have to one thing. Um, Sandra Bernhard. Oh, not the biggest fan, um, sexually speaking. Um, (laughs) But when I was a kid, there was a film which she made in Australia called Dallas Doll, uh, 1994. And it was her coming to an Australian, like, homestead in the country and running sexually rampant through the uh, sons of the family. And so that might be uh, one for fans of Sandra in the nude to check out. Uh, Also, young Rose Byrne in it. I'm not sure how old it was in that, but I'm pretty sure she didn't get nude because she's probably underage at the time. <laughs> Speaking of looking underage but uh, not being underage, uh, then uh, Shelley Duvall also agree, not the biggest fan sexually. However, Nashville. Yeah, 
Nashville. I had to check to make sure she wasn't underage because she looks kind of underage <laughs> and she wears not much in these huge platforms and she's very skinny and very sexy and that, but she was 26 at the time, so it's okay. She just always looks skinny and young and underage. Wait, no, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> moving on. Nice. Saw a film today I thought you guys might enjoy, a documentary called Love the Beast, which is made by Eric Banner um, about his love affair with his Ford Coupe. Um, really great documentary. Recommend you check it out. Really great if you love cars, especially old muscle cars, and uh, about the endurance race that he takes a car on. But also really interesting look behind the scenes at a celebrity. Like, he's so does a beautiful job of capturing aspects of his life without being pretentious, without concentrating on him. It really is about the car, but it, he lets you see behind the mask. And there's, some, there's, there's a moment when his car's um, rather damaged and the, just the like, look on his face and the way he reacts is just you know, priceless. Anyway, keep up the good work. I'll catch you guys later. Bye. All right. That was Ben, one half of the Cine Cultania podcast. Yeah, it is the first time Ben's called us. He's uh, emailed us quite often, but it's the first time he's called us, yeah. So it's good to hear from Ben. Uh, yeah, it seems like, uh, seems like he kept talking about underage stuff there, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, but um, that, nonetheless. That, I don't know anything about that Sandra Bernhardt film. i got to see that now. As do I. It's moving up the queue. We'll be covering it next week on the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> that's quick. That's a, that's a hot mover right there. It is a hot mover. <laughs> that documentary, I know both of us are aware of. I'm a huge Eric Bana fan. I think it's a person. He does seem pretty humble and mm-hmm. down to earth. And when he has a chance to legitimately stretch his legs, he is a good actor. Um, he's like a more rugged Mark Ruffalo in that he has a likability to him that he conveys very well with his eyes. Yeah. Um, also, also plays really good bad guys. Really great in Star Trek. Oh yeah, he was fucking good in that with the. Uh, he seems to be the one thing nobody really talks about when they talk about Star Trek. But I really, I think that your bad guys got to be really great to go against Kirk, and he's he's fantastic. And I hope they bring him back for more, but I don't guess they will. So. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that's probably not going to happen. But it is science fiction, so you never know. They could yes. explain it away somehow with uh, who knows. But. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. Yeah, appreciate that. All right, uh, and make sure to check out their podcast, too, Cinecultania. Uh, okay, next one, here we go. Hey, Jens, it's Emily. Um, just as requested, I'm just calling my thoughts on Antichrist, which I've finally seen, which everyone should watch, because it's on InstaWatch. For some reason, it's there, but it's not on DVD. I don't know how that works. Uh, but I will spoil it, so if you haven't seen it, um, I guess don't listen to me for a few minutes. Um, I am on Team Antichrist, I guess. Yes, I. It, as I was watching it, I wasn't... Like, once it kind of gets to the madness, I wasn't necessarily loving it, but once it ended and I kind of talked it out with a friend, I realized, oh, no, that was amazing because um, the main thing, and I think the reason why a lot of people call it misogynist, it's not a misogynist film. It's a film that happens to be in part about a misogynist. That as soon as the um, the turning point of the film, if you will, which is the adorable little talking fox, is when sort of the whole film shifts into Willem Dafoe's point of view. So everything that happens from that point on, I believe pretty confidently that all the witch stuff, the you know him seeing her, uh, that she saw the kid fall out the window and could have stopped Ooh. it, that she'd yeah. been you know maniacally putting his shoes on the wrong feet. She uh, she put the spoiler alert in the beginning of the voicemail. So oh oh okay good sorry I didn't hear that <laughs> she did. All of that is 
him dealing with his grief, and the way he does it is he puts all the blame on her. It's him taking that one kernel, she says, in the very beginning of the film, when she says that, um, you know, I could have stopped it because I knew he could get out of his gate. Well, now it's... The first half is her dealing with her grief. The second half is him. And I don't know what really happens. Uh, I'll have to watch it again. I don't know if any of that violence occurs, if if it unfolds the way uh, we see it. But I am... 99% 99% sure that all of it is about a man dealing with grief by just channeling, channeling it into pure hatred for the woman he's going to shift responsibility to. And that is my thought on that happy-go-lucky film we like <laughs> to call Antichrist. Goodbye. Yeah, that, that's an interesting theory. Uh, Very interesting, and I'd never even considered it for a moment. Yes. I think that's the thing, the, the one thing that, you know, people, some people have been, you know, like, you know, Antichrist isn't that great a film, it's it's overblown, some of the people that don't like it and stuff, and that's fine, you don't have to like it, I'm not telling you you have to like it, but I think that's the reason why I do like it so much is because it's so interpretive, and it seems like everybody gets a different uh, a different thing from it. You and I did, although we were kind of on the same wavelength. It's funny, I spoke, I picked up my dad from the airport yesterday, Sammy, coincidentally, the Olympians were coming home through the same terminal and gate as my father. So there yeah. was a bunch of camera crews there last night. But um, <laughs> we, uh, large, uh, William we on, large William on camera. Yeah, going, yeah, GGTMC. Yeah, for life. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was talking to my dad because I'd heard Emily's voicemail and I, I bounced his theory or her theory to him because, as you know, we've talked about mm-hmm. um, my dad seeing it and blah, blah, blah. And his and again, spoiler alert. Uh, his um, debate of that Emily and I haven't seen it in a while, and I want to rewatch it before mm-hmm. I could defend your argument. Is that a lot of the flashbacks to things that she did that would make her guilty seem to occur from her point of view or her perspective? Yeah. Um, but again, again, just food for thought. A lot to chew on with this film and. Might be Von Trier's best. It's it's really. I mean, I haven't seen all of his films, so maybe I can't say that yet. Yeah. But good well, stuff. It's certainly. I've seen most of his films, and it's certainly one of his best. I don't. I don't have any doubts about that. And oddly, it's one of his most rewatchable. That, that's the weird thing about the film. It's not really very long, and uh, I know not a lot happens. So some people have complained about it being a long, kind of boring movie, but I don't really think so. I think it flies no. by. I think it really moves. Just so much going on visually and thematically, internally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. A lot happens, quite frankly. Yeah, pretty impressive for just a two-person <clears throat> talking film. Uh, yep. So, pretty interesting stuff. All right, next voicemail. Let's get Emily here. Here we go. One thing I forgot to mention, uh, and I'm sorry to call back twice, but uh, can we all just have a moment of silence for the fact that next Sunday, come Oscar night, Sandra Bullock <laughs> is going to walk home with a, you know, golden little man for the most racist film of all time, The Book Side. <laughs> While Charlotte Gainsbourg is not going to be doing anything, but uh, but the blind side, this is going to win an Oscar. That's all. <laughs> all right, point taken. And you hear my thoughts on the blind side in the uh, the opening. So there you go. Yeah, f- uh, fuck the Oscars. I- I've decided that they get it wrong way more than they get it right. It's been proven time and time and time and time again. It almost has. It's it, you know, to well, speak you, you, on her you, racist. You, well, hang on one second. I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, one of the arguments people have made about the Oscars, they say that the reason why they went to ten films, obviously, is to nominate some of these films that everybody sees, that the masses see, right? Because the masses are going to watch this. You know, mm-hmm. twenty-seven million people, whatever watches. They say that the ratings go down when they nominate films uh, of quality. So, 
that tells me everything about yeah. modern cinema that I need to hear. I mean, that basically tells me Avatar got nominated because it's not a quality film. And, you know, Blindside got nominated because it's not a quality film. But, you know, a lot of people saw it. So we better nominate it because a lot of people saw it. And, and the people cannot be wrong, right? I mean, Transformers 2 didn't get nominated, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, I have no faith in them. And, again, to speak on her racist thing with, with, with Blindside, which I haven't seen, it's almost as if the Oscars. Do you remember back in the day, Sammy, when uh, an African-American athlete had to be twice as good as his peers to get recognition. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's yeah. almost like um, an, an independent or art house film performance has to be twice as good as a Hollywood performance to get the recognition it deserves, a la Christoph Waltz. Yeah, yeah. this is this is, this is a really weird Oscar year. Fucking nonsense, man. Because uh, remember we talked about the you know Avatar, the white man saving the natives type thing? Well, The Blind Side right. is basically the same film. <laughs> of course it is. You know, and it's just, it's fucking, it's just ridiculous, you know. I, I guess it tugs on people's heartstrings because of all the guilt they feel because they can't actually go out of their house and talk to somebody of a different race. Yeah. Idiots. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I sound like Bill, Bill by Force for a second there <laughs> with the idiots <laughs> comments. <laughs> all right, next voice, Bill. Hey, gentlemen, this is Cody. Uh, I actually came to you for some suggestions. Uh, I watched, I actually listened to your uh, JCVD review a little while back. Uh, and watched it, really enjoyed it, and it kind of, uh, I guess, reignited my interest in, in Van Damme. Um, I've only seen a, little, a, a relative, like, little bit. I've seen the Universal Soldier movies, all three of them. Uh, third one's surprisingly good for a cheap, cheap, cheap movie. Um, in Hell, um, a few others. Uh, and I was actually wondering um, which you would recommend would be the best uh, Van Damme um, I'm not really interested so much in uh, quality martial arts as I am entertaining, trashy stuff. Um, same for uh, Seagal, actually. Uh, I just watched his newest, uh, A Dangerous Man, which is a wonderful time and would be uh, just perfect, 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 perfect spot-on material for your show. Um, my favorite scene uh, being uh, one as uncomfortable as it is superfluous where his uh, inexplicably uh, attractive young wife is, is, uh, is grinding naked on top of <laughs> fat moo moo uh, Steven Seagal. And I just thought, uh, this, this poor girl, um, <laughs> having Steven Seagal rub his, his hands on your, your nude body on film has to be more, more humiliating than even just the juiciest bukkake. <laughs> Whatever. It, it, it's a great. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Definitely check that one out. Um, and any any really good Seagal, I'd love to hear. Um, I haven't seen much of his at all. Um, hard to kill. A couple others, maybe. Yeah. Um, a little bit behind on shows. Looking forward to listening uh, to them, sitting down and getting all out at once. Uh, and really looking to hearing your top 10 of 2009. Um, yeah. Uh, keep doing what you do. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right, that was Cody. You know, Cody, I'm not the best person to ask about uh, Seagal and uh, Van Damme movies because I really, I really lose my critical filter sometimes with those kinds of films. And the reason being is I really never expect much, and I end up just enjoying them for what they are. Uh, but I will say, you got to check out Seagal's Fire Down Below, which is shot here in the great state of Kentucky, and he wears not only a muumuu but a Native Indian uh, muumuu. And he plays guitar and sings bluegrass. You, you got to check that one out. 
that one's a that one's a must see. Got Chris Christopherson in it too. So, uh, and Van Dam, I, I like every. I like. I'm again. I'm not the person to ask because I like almost everything he does. So, I'm a. I'm a I guess I'm a Van Dam apologist. I don't think he does any acting in any of his films as good as JCVD, obviously. But uh, that's not really his fault. That's really the, well. Actually, you know what? That is his fault. It is his fault. <laughs> Don't be an apologist. But uh, I like Cyborg a lot from back in the day. I don't know if he's seen that one. And Bloodsport, obviously, is a must. That's probably, you know, a classic. Kickboxer's really good. Uh, the one he did with Natasha Hentridge, I think Ringo Lam, I think he dead directed it. I think he did. It was either him or Sui Hark. Uh, but it was him and Natasha Hendridge. That one was really good. Nobody checked it out. It was really good, actually. Um, Maximum okay, Risk me... or something like that. Maximum Which... Risk, maybe. Oh, yeah. I think that's it. I actually pulled up both their filmographies. Just take a quick look. For me, you cannot go wrong with the first four films that Seagal did, which was Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Marked for Death, and Out for Justice. Yeah, good. Yeah. He is cool, a cool motherfucker in all four films. He's just, he's pretty awesome in them. Uh, I would say beyond that, I stopped watching his stuff. I'll be honest, I've never even, Sammy, I've never even seen Under Siege on Deadly Ground, The Glimmer Man. Probably a good thing I've never seen The Glimmer Man from yeah. what I've heard. Uh, I've never seen post those th- like those four I don't think I've ever seen anything he's done so which is probably a good thing but I'm going to go to Dangerous Man which I think is a Canadian film a lot of, a lot of people from Alberta in the nice the credits uh, Van Damme uh, well uh, if you've never seen Bloodsport uh, it's it's considered his, his best film No Retreat No Surrender to see him as the, the evil Russian I'm a big fan of No Retreat No Surrender from my childhood mm-hmm. uh, like you'd mentioned Sammy Cyborg Kickboxer is awesome to see him drunk dance fighting <laughs> When he's got the singlet on with his pulled up pleated pants with oh, the cowboy boots. Man, that is a hideous image, but one it's, it's, one that will stick with you forever. <laughs> it's incredible. Double impact to see him play his uh, white suit wearing brother oh. and the more blue collar brother when they have a fight on a boat over a girl. It's incredible. Yeah, that one has a great moment where he mentions the words pink underwear. Yes, and he probably is wearing pink underwear. He likes to wear the, the European cut. Oh, a, yeah. fam- a, a film of his I actually really love that I think is underappreciated as far as a Van Damme film goes uh, is Time Cop. I really love Time Cop. Yes. So, yeah, that's a good one. Time uh, Cop's a good one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so maybe check that out. And, uh, and he does the splits on a kitchen counter. So that's yeah. awesome. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. There's some, some Seagal and Van Damme for you. Uh, yeah. We're going to get around to covering some Seagal and uh, more Van Damme because we, uh, we enjoy those movies. They're really, you know, they're good quick hits and they're fun to talk about. So. Oh yeah. Look for more coverage from those guys for about those guys. All right. Cody called back. Here we go. Hey gentlemen, this is Cody again. Uh I've been sitting in front of a computer trying to write a paper to minimal results, but I've been able to use the opportunity to catch up on uh the show that I the your episodes of the show that I've been missing. And I just have to say, uh thank you for doing the show. Uh particularly the way that you do it. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful show, um, because you we have you have, you go deeper into your the, the, the promos aren't lies. You go deeper into movies than I think any other certainly any podcast I've ever heard, and you do so articulately, but not in a snobbish way. Uh, it's all it's intelligent, but still has super immature cock jokes. Uh, and most importantly, you don't... You go in-depth. You talk about what a movie is about. 
but I can move you like my mean or like meanings and things, but you don't go and you don't say, remember this part of the movie. Or I, I can listen to a review on your show and not feel like I've had the movie spoiled for me. Uh, with a lot of other shows, when I know that, that when I know they're going to talk about a movie that I really in particular want to see, uh, I'll take the earphones out and I'll fast forward or something. Not, not so with your show. You managed to give a very thorough, very thorough uh, going over of the movie, uh, but somehow managed not to spoil it. Just kind of amplified the experience for why I do see it later. So thank you guys a whole bunch. Uh, oh, and uh, also, uh, uh, Sammy, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, my overall uh, least favorite of the first six, um, but you are absolutely correct, um, uh, 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 the hottest girl. Uh, not me, hottest girls. One girl in particular. There's a girl in part two with this silly Mickey Mouse half shirt who's just <laughs> incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, I hope it's not a few minutes. Uh, I'll keep listening. I'll keep doing what you're doing. Thank you a whole bunch. Bye. Here we are, the GGTMC helping Cody get his papers done. <laughs> yes. Good to know you do that. I actually actually write papers to uh, outside the cinema sometimes, and uh, in doing so, end up writing down a lot of things like fucking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those fucking mass holes up there I end up yes. writing down a lot of uh, horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Love the shit out of that. Yeah. Love the shit out of that. It was w- <laughs> wicked hard. <laughs> Our good dear friends from the Bean Town. Yes. I do want to say, Cody, your voicemail meant a lot uh, to us. Uh, I, I again, I was talking to my dad about the show and and how you know he knows so much. And I enjoy doing it because of the interaction with like-minded people. And I said the thing I love most about our show, and the thing I, I I'm most proud of, is that we have so many listeners who's who are very intelligent and and have a such a wide spectrum of film appreciation that it's humbling that they enjoy what we do, Sammy. It, it really means a lot to me for people to say things like Cody just said. I mean, uh, you know, we're just sitting here in our pajamas, as we always say, mm-hmm. uh, or nothing for that matter. Uh, <laughs> leather chair gets sticky after the two-hour mark. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> but no, uh, we just really, really appreciate it, so thank you. Yeah, we do. Uh, I always, I, I, t- t- every day I find it humbling that, uh, you know, to check the email and we get these voicemails and all this feedback and stuff. I just, I still find it amazing, even after all this time, that, uh, you know, people are listening to me and you talk about movies. So, just it amazes me all the time. So, mm-hmm. all right, next voicemail. Hey, gentlemen, it's Rupert. Um, just a quick comment for Will. Um, listening to you recap before I dig into your list episode, your 2009 list. Um, and I am so thrilled to, to hear that you liked, uh, watched and liked Sherlock Jr. That, uh, that is fantastic, man. I, I hope that you would uh, be a fan of it, and I'm not surprised that you that you were. Um, it is definitely a favorite of mine. Um, anyway, uh, just great to hear that you checked it out and liked it. Okay, later. All right, Rupert, very happy that you dug Sherlock Jr. And I was happy, too, because, uh, you know, whatever you, you really kind of, you don't mean to, but you kind of push a film on somebody to check out, you're always very worried that they're going to, you know, not have a good time with it. So it's really good that... Uh, I didn't think I really pushed it, but I kept recommending it to you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, I mean, that's the thing. You guys had gotten me to watch it, and I'm glad you did. I mean, if I hadn't have watched it, even if I hadn't have enjoyed it that much, to knock something off from my list 
for my film education would have been important, but to love it as much as I did as well was just a bonus. And then I appreciate Roop uh, sending it to me. So, and you for you know between the two of you promoting it and everyone that chimed in on Facebook with more recommendations like the cameraman and and. Um, uh, yeah, the a few others. there's a yeah, there's a good bunch of them. The navigator's really good. Uh, trying to think of a couple others off the top of my head. Uh, obviously, the general. That's kind of a longer form uh, silent film, but uh, you know, I mean, every if you like that, you're probably going to dig most stuff he did. So you probably won't have too much trouble with most stuff he did. There's some stuff in there that's not so great, but there's most of it's pretty damn solid. All right, Rupert called back a few times, so let's go ahead and get more Rupert here. Hey, Dad, it's Rupert again. Listen to the top tens, good stuff, of course. Um, liking the discussion about House of the Devil. Uh, I I got to say, I I really am excited about Ty West as a filmmaker. Um, his aesthetic that, you know, sort of takes place in another time aesthetic that you're talking about, with especially House of the Devil. Like, I totally agree with Will. Like, if you watch it, you really could potentially think that it, that is a film made in the late 70s um, or 81. Um, I feel I feel like I kind of agree with Rick a little bit more about the pace of it. I, I feel like it still feels a little later 70s. I feel like the pace of um, horror films in the, even 81, had picked up a little bit. But then again, you know, there are definitely slow spots in all. I'm thinking of like The Prowler and stuff like that. There's definitely slow spots in all those movies. Um, but anyway, he is just so exciting to me um, after that film. I saw Cabin Fever 2, which i got to say I didn't like quite as much as I think you guys did. I had, I had fun with it, um, certainly. Uh, and, and Ty West's aesthetic, again, is, is spot-on great, like, 80s in that movie. And not like Will was saying, not like, look how smart I, look, I am, like, clever I am, or whatever. It just, it's fairly subtly there, you know, but I really love that. And, and I... I'm just super excited for anything and everything he does from here on out. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to voice my uh, uh, shared fandom for especially House of the Devil, a grade that I really want to pick up at some point. Uh, and I, th- I feel like everybody should see it. And, and, and I'm not trying to, I guess we're like, we are kind of hyping the movie a lot. I just, I just really liked it a lot and just been thinking about it a lot since I saw it. Um, very excited to see it on Blu-ray. But anyway, good list, guys. Okay, bye. All right. I know Rupert's a big fan of list, and uh, he's uh, challenged me to make a list of my top 100 films of all time, I think. And uh, Rupert, you'll, me and you will probably be both old men before I get around to doing that. <laughs> we'll probably both be sitting around going, oh, yeah, you remember back when uh, Dustin Hoffman was popular? Actually, we could do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was just looking at today's birthdays, and Daniel Craig is 42. I had no idea he was that young. And I say that young because I'm 37 this year, so, you know. He's, he's not, not that. Imagine Sammy and doing the parkour in Casino Royale. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you can see me doing it, all right. <laughs> I look like the uh, one character that Bolo Young fought in uh, Bloodsport where my shin bone comes out of the skin. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> nice. All right, Rupert called back again. Here we go. Hey gentlemen, it's Rupert. Um, just uh, just got to the part of the list show where Sammy made his big announcement, and I just wanted to say, Sammy, uh, huge congrats to you and your wife. Um, I know that uh, you know you will enjoy every minute of uh, fatherhood. I think you'll make a great father, uh, and uh, I'm just really really happy for you guys. 
Um, so that's, that's that. But uh, congratulations. All right, well, congratulations. Thank you, Rupert. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we'll all be... Rupert, of course, you know, he has uh, his son, but he has a new baby girl there, too. So we'll all be fathers uh, in a similar vein there, all kind of learning together. I'll be taking some tips from both of you guys. Like, uh, And you'll be elbow deep in the, yeah, the duty. Yeah, I'll call you up and say, Will, why does this fucking shit look like mustard? <laughs> yeah, oh, you will, buddy. It's going to be sourdough mustard uh, after you get past the black tar of the first few diapers. Rock and roll, baby. Nice. Also, I want to mention that briefly in the background of that voicemail, you could hear acceleration of a car. Uh, Rupert lives out on the West Coast, and uh, I can say he lives in L.A. Uh, he, uh, I've been to L.A., and acceleration in a car is something that happens very rarely <laughs> because you're always stuck in traffic, it seems. <laughs> yeah. So what you guys heard was almost like a Bigfoot sighting. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you go to that area, trust me, you will not accelerate often. <laughs> All right. Next voicemail. Hey, Dad, it's Rupert. Uh, just finished listening to the Eurocrime documentary uh, interview with Mike. Uh, great stuff. I really liked it. Um, definitely you're going to have to re-listen and write down some titles um, and uh, stuff. Just curious what the music is that you played at the intro and outro of that show. Um, maybe it's the same score. Maybe it's the same track. <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, really dug the music uh, on the in and out. So just curious what that was. Okay, thanks, Dad. All right, uh, Large William, you want to let him know what that music is? It was your choice for the show, so. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. It's done, firstly, by Stelvio Cipriani, mm-hmm. a very good musician. You know, I think it gets overshadowed sometimes by uh, uh, Goblin and, and Marconi and the uh, D'Angelis brothers, but it's uh, it's from Rabid Dogs, yes. uh, the Mario Bava film. Uh, and you weren't losing your mind. The first, the, like with a lot of Italian um, films, They'll have about four or five variations on the track. The, f- the beginning was the beginning of the track, and the ending was the, the closing version of the track. So yep. it was a little different. Um, I have that soundtrack, and if you want me to get it to you, I would be more than happy to uh, let me know. It, it's fantastic, although, like I said, it, it's more derivative, but still quite awesome. You're saying that there's other Italian composers other than Morricone and Goblin? Yes. <laughs> the D'Angelo's One brothers? or two. What? One or two. <laughs> Michelizzi and all these I don't know I'm just I'm just now finding out about this even though I don't use Morricone music for it well I do use Morricone music for our show <laughs> but uh, I don't use Michelizzi for the end so <laughs> whatever uh, yeah yeah it's it's a good stuff uh, the Rabbit Dog soundtrack Will sent that to me I knew exactly what he wanted to send to me and uh, as soon as I heard it I was like yep that's the piece I thought he would send so good stuff and, and Rube if you haven't seen that movie everyone check it out I, the more I think about it Sammy the more it's becoming one of my favorite Eurocrime films it's just so fucking down and dirty man yeah that's a uh, it's a gentleman's guide uh, favorite that we haven't even covered because trust me there's uh, again like I said when you talked about it, it's one of the sweatiest movies I've ever seen <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> That movie, it's, it's as wet as Cabin Fever 2. <laughs> yes, but smells more like onions for some reason. <laughs> yes, and Brute Fabergé. Yes. It's a weird mixture. It's like every now and then you're like, oh, I don't smell bad. Then you're like, oh, man, Eastman just got in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the onion, the balance, the scales tip in favor of uh, onions at that point. <laughs> yeah. uh, too much man for even deodorant to handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he turns deodorant sticks to powder. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail. Hey, gentlemen, it's Christine. Um, I haven't called in a while, and I just wanted to call and say hi. And congratulations to Sammy. And I'm very excited, and Dylan and I were very excited for you guys. It's wonderful. 
Um, and the shows have been great, although I am perpetually behind. Um, I'm very much looking forward to actually starting the My Bloody Valentine show, um, which is one of my favorite horror movies, period. And that's how far behind I am that I haven't even listened to that yet. I knew it was really bad when we were mid-January, and I was just getting to the Have a Merry Christmas voicemails. So um, one day I will catch up. But it's nice to have a backlog. Um, Well, I'll talk to you guys soon, and wonderful job as usual. X's and O's. Bye. All right. Thanks, Christine. That's one half of the uh, Paracinema uh, conglomerate there. Uh, Dylan being the other half. But, yeah, thank you for the congrats, and uh, it's good to hear your voice. Uh, There's nothing wrong with having a backlog of shows. I keep a backlog of certain shows on my pod at all times because uh, if not, I run out, and then I'm fiending for a podcast. So Yeah. Oh, no, I always a little bit behind my favorite shows, and Christine X's and O's to you and your partner in crime, Dylan. Uh, and a happy, although I wished him a happy birthday on Facebook, uh, Dylan, happy birthday, my friend. Yeah. All right. Our voicemail. Here we go. Dong ding dong 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 ding dong ding dong 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 ding dong 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 ding dong ding 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 dong ding. More please. All right. So that person called in. I don't even know who that was. Does that sound familiar? Does sound familiar to you? Well, I know Tom had wanted it, and Tom, you got to send me an email and and where I can send this to, and I'd be happy to get it over to you. I don't know who that was. Well, Jay? I, I don't know. Well, just 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 as for uh, you know for request. Uh, here you go. We'll play just a few seconds of this here again. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> now that'll be in your head all day, Large William. <laughs> it will. It, it is, and it will be. <laughs> ding, ding, dong. Uh, I might play the, maybe I'll play the show out with that today. That, yeah, that's that's a good uh, good idea. Give the fans what they want. Yes, they want the ding, dong song. I have to thank Loki again for that. So <laughs> We could open with, um, what's their name, Sit-In, the, the Swedish group that used to play, they used to play the song on OTC. That's called Ding-a-Dong. Oh, yeah, 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 the Ding-a-Dong song. I remember and that then, now. <laughs> And then you got Ding-Ding-Dong. <laughs> the dueling Ding-Dongs, yes. which sounds more like a gay porno than uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. It than does. anything else. <laughs> dueling Ding-Dongs. All right. <laughs> Some people could say that's our podcast, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Next voicemail. Hey, gents. This is Phil. Congratulations to both of you for uh, Sammy's uh, pending child. Fantastic, Rick. I'm very happy for you. And congratulations to Canada for making a very exciting hockey game on Sunday. It was pretty damn thrilling. You guys deserve it. And I believe you're covering possession this week. Uh, the Walski film. If not, you can delete this message. But um, really interesting film. Um, a long film. Uh, I know it's restored from about 45 minutes. I've been added to it. I like the uh, use of the setting in Berlin. Something about Berlin is a pretty lonely-looking city. The blue filter and and the uh, cinematography of the buildings, and I just love films like that. Uh, Vim Vendors is, uh, uses Berlin really well in Wings of Desire. I don't know if you've seen that. Highly recommend it. Um, at the 12-minute mark, we have a restaurant scene that showcases a pretty impressive 90-degree angled mirror effect, which kind of shows the separation between the two characters. 
thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Isabella Johnny, I know some guys think she's fantastic to look at. Um, she's a better actress than does anything else for me. But, uh, yeah, pretty pretty impressive. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys are into commentary tracks. It's a damn good commentary track for this one. It, it kind of explains a lot what went on behind the scenes. So I don't know if you heard it, but it's really good. Um, as far as the director, he's pretty nishy. I don't have any other uh, films of his. Um, they just started releasing three of his other ones. Le Portant, say Damier, L'Amour Brock, and La Femme Publique came out last year. And I haven't seen any of them. I think this maybe is only maybe one other horror film he did. Um, so he's kind of tough to rate. Uh, I like the film. It did drag in some parts. Um, I know what I like about European films, and I think this was touched on in the commentary, and I agree with it, is the long shots. Um, I think the director mentioned that European films, how they differ from American films, is average uh, shots per film are between 400 and 500 shots whereas American films use 4,000 to 5,000 shots. Now, it's probably <laughs> oh, yeah. 1980. Today it's probably doubled. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, I like the European flavor of it. I like the Kung Fu guru guy, Heinz Bennett. What a rascal <laughs> he was. Um, what else? Um, yeah, it's just a goofy, strange film. I don't know if I'd recommend it to anybody. I think David Cronenberg uh, did it better in some of his films. Um, definitely uh, in The Brood. Polanski touches on themes and repulsion. Um, again, in Cronenberg's Dead Ringers, we have the uh, doppelganger um, ride to hell uh, you know, descent to uh, whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. But, um, yeah, great film, and I'm pretty much at three minutes. I hope you guys have a great week. Always a pleasure contributing to your show. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right. That was a good listener, Phil. Thank you again for the congratulations. He had a lot to talk about about Zulowski there. You know, it's interesting. I went back and after we watched the film, I went back and looked at all the other stuff to see if I've actually happened upon any Zulowski in my lifetime, and uh, this would be the first one. So uh, I have not, but uh, I'm going to definitely check out some more stuff by him. Uh, he's a writer-director, so I guess you could argue that he's an auteur. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I've I've got the was it Diabel, which is the second film, which was banned in Poland, and I, I think led to his exile. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I, I, I want to watch more of his stuff. Uh, someone had said the emotional intensity, although the films are good, it doesn't quite keep up with this, and thankfully it doesn't because I think uh, he probably would have killed himself after three films if that was the case. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, two more voicemails to go. Here we go, gentlemen. This is Dr. Zom, and it's Saturday night, and I'm snowed in, and Kate Beckinsdale is nowhere in sight. <laughs> he's snowed in. He's by himself. I feel sorry for his dogs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just teasing you, Doc. But anyway, I uh, remembered you guys talking about a movie called The Goonies uh, that was, you know, a, a big part of growing up and everything, and, and it sounded familiar. But I saw the movie I remember, it, it was, was kind of like The Goonies, but it was called The Poonies. <laughs> and it was made in 1985 by a, a, a world-famous uh, director called Bruce Seven. And um, it starred uh, Ginger Lynn, Sharon Mitchell, Amber Lynn. Sharon Mitchell was, uh, played the part of uh, Motherload, and Amber Lynn played the part of uh, Input. Uh, and then it also had Herschel Savage and Peter North, nice. Mark Wallace. I mean, it was 
it was it was a big part of my my upbringing too. But I digress. You also <laughs> mentioned uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, and uh, you know, the first time some people I tried to explain to some people that weren't born back then uh, the phenomenon of Planet of the Apes at that time was probably as big as say Star Wars was of that time. Mm-hmm. We had trading cards, we had lunch boxes, we had, you know, t-shirts, everything, merchandising out of the asshole, and the <laughs> asshole was gaped. Um, but oh, wow. I felt the same way like what Sammy the said. Speculum? I mean, it was like almost kind of scary. I used to have nightmares <laughs> about those freaking, you know, damn dirty apes, you know, putting their filthy paws on me. On your but, uh, gaping, you know, gaping I, arsehole. I, I mean, to this day, I watch that movie. I think it still holds up. I think it was really good. Uh, the second one, Beneath the Planet of the Apes with Dr- James Franciscus, uh, I thought that one was good, too, and those freaking creepy mutants, man. Goddamn. Uh, good good shit. Good movie. And a lot of a lot of good uh, themes, you know, underlying themes there that uh, people, you know, probably wouldn't think of. Anyways, don't want to run on too long here. Uh, just got done watching Hard Target, which was fucking excellent. <laughs> Had a nice greasy J- JC VD mullet. Uh, <laughs> Wilford Brimley doing a um, Cajun accent. Nancy <laughs> Butler before she got on drugs and all uh, becoming a huge alcoholic with the wild bull curry eyebrows. And uh, Arnold Vassalou, who I discovered in that movie. Uh, and Lance Henriksen, who was so <laughs> over the top, it was fantastic. I uh, also watched Rambo uh, 2, uh, I, I must say, and this is sacrilege, but I fell asleep watching Rambo 2. Uh, did watch, uh, you know, uh, the uh, making of or whatever they had on the DVD, which was pretty cool. Uh, I thought it was funny that Stallone said he didn't think that Rambo 2 was a violent movie. Uh, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, thought that was he, funny. Uh, looked, uh, his hair was a little bit too goddamn... Uh, I don't know, like he had some kind of freaking hair care product in it. It was very nice. He looked like Miles O'Keefe from Tarzan the Ape Man, and he posed a lot. Uh, Charles Napier was great in that. All right, he, Hello. he, well, hang on, he, uh, he called back because he got cut off. So let me finish off here. Hang on. Uh, I want to say rest in peace to Jamie Gillis who uh, some of us aficionados remember from many, many years of stuff uh, that he did. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a, a podcast on uh, known as uh, called Show Show, and I understand they're having their three-year anniversary, and I just wanted to say, you know, uh, congratulations to the Show Show. Nice. And I also, uh, in my last seconds, I found a Peter North movie that I did not want to find, and that was Peter North in a gay movie. Oh, yeah. I did not watch it, but Whatever. Um, I was, you know, curious. Whatever. Well, maybe not curious. Whatever. Okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> that was the end of it. Oh. Yeah. You found the movie and you were curious, uh, or maybe not curious, um, or maybe you're making excuses. <laughs> it's all right, Zom. We will still love you nonetheless. Hey, look, North, he, he paints the males and the females, okay? <laughs> yes, uh, so enough speculum, gaping asshole, Ooh. oiled men, mullet, Wilfred Brimley talk. He would he would make you gape. <laughs> yeah, I imagine he would. <laughs> All right, that is the end of our feedback section. Uh, you want to go into our pleasantries? Uh, yeah, definitely. As I open my book. Here we go. 
Okay, so, as usual, there's a lot of shows that we want to mention, uh, get out the good word about. Uh, first things first, our sister shows, OTC and Show Show. Uh, all of the Pop Syndicate shows, for that matter, we are all a family, and uh, we certainly promote all of them. Uh, check them all out. Across the pond, there's our good friends, Chin Stroker vs. Plunter, Cinerama, the side of the world, there's Terry's Paleo Cinema. I think his most recent episode, he talks about mermaid movies, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the Metal Ones, Action Attraction. Tom and Derek's Better in the Dark podcast. Uh, speaking of across the uh, other side of the earth, there's Cynical Tanium yep. and Alex. Uh, v Cinema, those guys are really hitting their, they're getting into a rhythm quite, quite nicely. Uh, good stuff from them. And the Treefy. Dr. Treefenstein at Destroy the Brain. <laughs> yes. uh, other stuff you can check out, paracinema.net. They've just revamped their website. Uh, go over and buy issues of our favorite dynamic duo in the paper print industry, horrorcommentary.com. And these are all, of course, followed by .blogspot.com, Pickle Loaf, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Death Rattle 13, Naked Eskimo, Heavens with a Z, Trash, Dear Bastards or Big Suck Loser from King Mob. This is Quiet Cool, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, and Uncool Cat. And if you're in Toronto, check out Ice for Cinema. Uh, vote for us at Podcast Alley. Leave us iTunes reviews. Uh, friend us both on Facebook. If you wish to donate, you can certainly do so via our website. And check out cinema-de-bizarre for all your hard-to-find genre needs. Uh, I do know that I contacted Mark at CDB. He's going to try to track down this Mr. T film. If there's enough interest, he'll get it. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, contact him. All right. That sounds good. Um, okay, so I think to play us out today, since for our request, we'll have the When the Women Play Ding Dong. So I'm going to play this out. Uh, Will, you can take a break. Last week you said you were going to go get a cup of coffee. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty awesome, actually. So yeah. I'm just going to play it out, and uh, I think we should talk about what we're going to cover next week. But let me also say voicemails, midnightcinema, gmail.com, M-I-D-N-I-T-E, cinema, at gmail.com, and... Or is that voicemails? That's emails. And voicemails to 206-666-5207. And what are we covering next week? Uh, you always catch me with my pants down. I haven't picked. It's time for me to catch you with your pants down. What are you covering next week? I don't know. When, when are we going to do that uh, Red Riding trilogy? When do you want to do that? We don't have to do it next week. I mean, I just want, I want to do it sometime soon, though. Maybe we'll do it in a couple weeks. If okay. You want. Not just next give, week, the following week. Just give everybody a heads up. We are going to be covering the Red Riding trilogy. It's available on on demand cable. So if you guys know anything about it, look into it. It might be on your uh, on demand there. Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, what do you, uh, I know what I'm going to cover next week then. What is that? In honor of the, the unfortunate cheat we kind of gave some of our listeners and in honor of Cody's voicemail. We're going to go to the, the moo-mooed, ponytailed one and <laughs> hit up on some Out for Justice, some some good old-fashioned action movie fun. So I think we're going to do Steven Seagal's Out for Justice on my side. So does that mean it is the premiere of Gino Fellino? <laughs> Gino <Fine>. Fellino, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, my pick is going to be... Um, I was going to... No, let me see. <laughs> burr, 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 burr. Why don't we do... Sorry, just the, bear with me. The anticipation's killing not only our listeners, but me as well. <laughs> Why don't we do... No, I was gonna, you know what? I was going to say a film, but it was too similar to Death Weekend. Why don't we do 
Jan Michael Vincent in White Line Fever. Bring the trucker film back. Nice, nice. I've been wanting to do that one for a while. So, yeah, okay, that's good. Nice. We got some uh, greased up action heroes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's going to be our show next week. White Line Fever with Jan Michael Vincent. And, and actually, no, that's not the. Yeah, that is the first time Jan Michael Vincent's been on our show as well, right? Yeah, because and but he's also going to follow up pretty quickly with the mechanics. So yeah, yeah. So we got Jan Michael Vincent next week and Alfred Justice with Steven Seagal. So should be a good uh, old fashioned uh, sausage <laughs> fest next week. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you've come to expect from the GDTMC. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to play out the song here, and uh, we will see you guys next week. So I'll say adios. Adios. Ding, 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 ding,